Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me, as always, and forever, just not counting last week, is my co-host, <laughs> Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm back, baby! <laughs> oh, that was very loud. I'll try that, that again. Very- <laughs> I'm back, baby! Uh, I like that take two. We'll do a take two on that one. <laughs> How are things anyway? Get it, get it, get it, get it clean. Um, very good, very good, Darren. Um, I'm doing very well, thank you. I had a lovely time in um, in England and Wales and uh, and Venice and Italy. Venice. Yes, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. How was your time in New York, Darren? And I are both doing our part for climate change. Yeah, we're taking separate holidays. Um, Yes, no, it was it was good. Um, I had a really, really good time. It was fantastic. I somehow managed to go to the cinema twice while I was over there for a total of five days. Uh, but no, it was it was lovely. Fantastic city. Uh, great atmosphere. Uh, good to be back. Also very tired. So I am thrilled that we have three spectacular guests joining us today for this discussion of John Ford's 1940 The Grapes of Wrath. So three people who are going to carry the load if I am not necessarily the most conversational this evening. First of all, the fantastic Eva Martin. How are you, Eva? Hey, Darren. I'm good. Thanks. Nice to be here. Um, absolute pleasure to have you back. The sensational Ronan Doyle, how are you? Very good, thanks. Thanks for inviting me back again. No, absolutely. And kind of reteaming the three of you, the wonderful Jason Coyle. How are you, Jay? I'm good. This, uh, this is different to Speed 2 uh, Cruise Control. It is. We like to throw you a bit of a curve. Every so often. Well, I mean, after Jaws and Speed 2, you were like, yeah, I think I've, I think I figured out what my niche is. And we we're like, how about you discuss one of the great movies of American cinema? Yeah. In fact, like canonically, the great movie of American cinema in the narrow space between 1940 and 1941. Uh, it's quite amazing. This movie was released and the New York Times was like, is this the greatest moment in American cinema? Will this ever be equaled? Will there ever be another movie that is as pure an expression of the art form's possibilities? Oh, Citizen Kane. Sorry, never mind. Forget we said all that. <laughs> um, but can we, before we jump in here, we're talking to four very literate people and me here. Has anybody here actually read uh, John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath? Has anybody read the book on which this movie's based? I was afraid you were going to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm assuming you're you're not including me. <laughs> there's a mouse in no, your you, pocket you are... <laughs> <laughs> like a very a very um literate well read uh, well read mouse um who who's gonna squeak on they, i i've read canary row and that was as much steinbeck as i've read it's very short and very good um there's a great description of all of the things that men do in the morning when they're waking up um <laughs> and um it's not all that. <laughs> Although it'd be a very short book of um, it. Yeah, yeah, but but the 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 other thing is watching this movie. I kept expecting to be introduced to these characters that aren't um, in this movie. I think they're like, um, is it Lenny and Squiggy from Of Mice and Men? <laughs> or, or something like that. It's a shared universe. Yeah, it? the yeah. American literary, literary cinematic universe, yeah. the ALCU, yes. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Or like Gatsby to come in a car. And <laughs> I don't think Gatsby them. would do well in this universe. By the way, we're assuming that like every great 
American <laughs> author that all of their characters exist in the same universe. So then we have like, I presume so. um, like Stoner, I guess leaves leaves Oki as well, but but doesn't go um, to California. Instead, he becomes a university professor. I like this theory. Yeah, you're pitching an idea like that. Currently, Warner Brothers executives are getting very excited about. Where it's like, look, if Black Adam doesn't pan out, uh, we have like we have a different model planned here. But yeah, so the Grapes of Wrath, obviously written by John Steinbeck, one of the monuments of American literature. Uh, it won the National Book Award, the Pulitzer Prize, and like featured prominently, I believe, when Steinbeck won the Nobel Prize in 1962. Regarded as one Sorry, of the great American literature. We didn't get an answer from Ronan or Jay. We have to we have to oh. shine shine. Sh- Shine the light of shame. Oh, I did. I didn't read it. I haven't read it. Definitely. <laughs> I, I was about to say, we were, I mean, could we not just leave it unspoken rather than like just directly? <laughs> no, no. It's fine, Andrew. It's fine. Can I just say that I, I started to read it before this and I just, just time got away from me. You know, I think I'm lucky that I managed to watch it before this podcast. So Indeed. We'll, yeah. we'll take that. It's a long movie. We are very, very grateful uh, for that. I, I do. I was kind of waiting for the hot and spicy take that I started to read it, and then I was like, <laughs> "Nope, I'm just not feeling it. Just not getting the vibes." Um, but yes, basically, what's quite impressive though is that it was like seized almost immediately. The book was released in 1939. The film comes out in 1940 and becomes like a canonical American classic. So you have a classic book immediately on publication that's turned straight away into a classic of American cinema. So if we hadn't read the book before we kind of talked about the film here, had any of us seen this movie before this point? And I mean, Letterboxd is the great equalizer here. I already know that there are several positives in the room, but um, a very dangerous thing to say in the era of COVID, I apologize. (laughs) But uh, Aoife, Ronan, Jay, had any of you seen this movie before? Uh, I kind of text you and said, look, you guys talked to us about uh, Liberty Balance last year. Would you like to come back and do a John Ford reunion? Yeah, so I saw a you know it's decades ago since i saw it um i remember at, it was either it was on television it was either on bbc2 or some other channel and i think i recorded it on vhs and watched it and i remember you know really really liking it at the time so um like i knew it was a you know a classic in inverted commas so <laughs> it was yeah it was something that really 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 liked but you know Bizarrely, I haven't seen since. So you know, if it's if it's such a classic, why haven't I watched it in the forty years since? <laughs> I, I I mean, to to be fair, Eva, like without getting into too much of the content of the movie or what we think of the movie, it doesn't exactly scream like kick back on the sofa, put your feet up, pour yourself a glass of wine, and join the Jodes on a Jode trip, baby. Um, Jodes go that's, that's a lampoons. The grapes are right. yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> The problem with the movie as well is that it's not really relatable to our current times because all of the problems covered have been solved. Yeah, It's interesting as an artifact, but like once you've seen it, it's kind of like, uh, <laughs> what am I going to do? It kind of is funny, though, because as somebody that would kind of would be kind of very much on the side of the politics of it mm. and who's also a Ford fan, I've never seen it. Wow. And it's just one of those little weird blind spots that uh, exist. And I had to think about it when Darren asked me, I was like, have I seen it? And I think maybe I have. And I was like, if I have, it would probably be in the era Eva speaking of when you're, it was on a TV some well, Sunday afternoon somewhere, but I don't recall if I have. I certainly don't 
remember any of yeah, it's, it's it's John Ford's Ken Loach, you know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's a Ken Loach era. It's gonna be stagecoach again. <laughs> this on the green was my valley, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's just one of those films. I mean, you know, it's it's never on TV anymore. It's you know, you know, unless you seek it out, how how are you going to see it? You know, I, I you know, you don't see it talked about all that much either, considering, you know, it is again canonically you know, such a famous film. Yeah, canonically play yeah. Is there anyone is there anyone else on the call whose only knowledge of Grapes of Wrath was the Simpsons reference with Nelson Mons? Um, yeah, does his his uh what's the di- diorama rama where it's like I don't I don't get it and it's like, well here's the grapes, smash, and here's, here's the rat. The rat. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I will say, as somebody who will put my hands up as the uncultured swine that I am, I had not seen this movie before we decided that we were going to cover it. Um, I was like, watching it, I was like, I recognize so much of this from just yeah, passively absorbing same. The Simpsons. It's like, I recognize <laughs> all these big speeches and all these moments and all these visuals. It's very much like Citizen Kane, where you can reconstruct all of Citizen Kane from The Simpsons. Um, I was like, yeah, no, I, I recognize this, even though I've never seen the movie. But Ronan, what about yourself? Are you, had you seen this before? Um, yeah, I had a very similar reaction to Jay when you uh, got in touch about this. I thought, have I seen that? No, no, I haven't. I, I haven't. And then I watched it and uh, realized that I had. Um, <laughs> so I have, I have no real good excuse, to be honest. It was, it was not decades ago. It was probably just one <laughs> decade ago. But um, yeah, it just completely skipped my mind that i'd seen it which is weird considering i really liked it then i really yeah. like it now um i'm not really sure what happened in between maybe some kind of brain injury um, that, that, i was i was really ready to pounce because i had your four star letterbox review ready to go there Ronan. that was the, <laughs> that was the gotcha. one i yeah. um, trust you to have done your research Sharon. <laughs> i i know mainly on the guests on the podcast i know nothing else about the movie i just know which of the five of us have watched this movie before the, um his his next review is of getting kicked in the head with, by a horse I much preferred football than the groin, to be honest. Uh, Starring the great George C. Scott. But it's it's just on that story. It's um it's funny in the context of what Aoife was saying that it's never really shown anymore or talked about necessarily. I think Mm. when I think of John Ford and the films I've seen of, I just go to the westerns. I kind of forget a lot of the other ones that I have seen. Yeah, this included. So um, that might be part of of what's going on behind. You would kind of assume that this might be like a, a with I guess without having watched the movie. And just looking at the description of it, you might say, oh, that's like, that's that Frank Capra one, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It, it does have a bit of a Capra-esque vibe to it, which we'll get to, I suspect, when we get to the three questions. Um, but like, I do, like, it's interesting, both Aoife and Ronan mentioning the idea that this is a movie that is not really talked about anymore. Because mm. this is a, a movie that has an interesting kind of life. The reason why we're covering it this year is because it kind of, disappeared it was on the 250 back when it was conceived back in in 1990 whenever when amazon and imdb got together one night and conceived the list or whatever happened um, but basically well, i know thank you for that mental image didn't we but, say it? it was like outside manchester somewhere um it was in like stockport or something I was in Stockport yes, once so- in my life and a big um, crowd of youths <laughs> tried to, to, to start like a... To make a 250 list. To, to, yeah. Well, no, uh, to, <laughs> to, 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 to make a ruckus. 
But assuming, isn't, um, am I completely mistaken in saying that the, is gas that we have a podcast about this and we know nothing about it? I suspect know you know more than I do. I feel Somebody like. Somebody needs to do some research, I would, <laughs> yeah. I would say. Yeah, I, I would imagine if, on, if, only, if only I weren't operating at somewhere around 25% capacity <laughs> this week, I might actually have an answer to that question. I will never do research, Jay. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, Uncommitment. Un- un- By the way, listeners, um, I think we agreed that because Andrew missed last week due to a scheduling snafu, Andrew is going to be talking about Schindler's List by himself. That is the That's right. That's my solution we've come up with. The, the, the earlier in the week was Yom Kippur, and I, <laughs> I, I agreed um, that as my atonement for, um, for not just that, but all of my sins. Um, yeah, that 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 will 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 cover Schindler's list, but it'll 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 just be me. But all 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 kind of joking aside, the the Grapes of Wrath, obviously, it was on the list from near enough the start. It entered the list in ninety nine. It's peaks about like one oh three or whatever, and then it just kind of slowly trails down. And it's one of those movies where you can kind of see it almost being forgotten and erased from cultural memory, where it completely drops off in August two thousand nineteen. Until recently, earlier this year, we kind of covered it when we talked about uh, Come and See. You had this weird reconfiguring of the list to basically minimize non-American movies on the list, and in particular, non-English language movies on the list. And so as a result, Jaws came back onto the list as well. And The Grapes of Wrath was one of the movies to kind of really benefit from that. So it's kind of popped back in there as well, which is interesting. Mm. But it but it is worth just like putting the film in, in context in terms of its original release, where it's greeted near unanimously as a masterpiece of American cinema. You know, it ends up being chosen as the best picture of 1940 by both the National Board of Review and the New York Film Critics. Jane Darwell wins an Oscar for her performance as Maud Joad. Uh, Life magazine describes the film as bitter, authentic, honest. It marches straight to its tragic end. And in the, in the New York Times, you have Frank Nugent, a critic who was so notoriously harsh towards Xanax films that 20th Century Fox just pulled its advertising from the Times completely, placed grapes on, and I quote, the one small, uncrowded shelf devoted to cinema's masterworks. Right, you have the argument that... Like, right next to that train, like driving towards the screen. Yeah. And had Happy Gilmore. Yeah, and Happy those Gilmore. Are the, those are the three films. Yeah, yeah. those are three, the three. The Holy Trinity three. Of, uh, <laughs> yeah. of American oh, cinema. This yeah, right is there. cinema, yeah. <laughs> um, and obviously, like, this converted Nugent to such an extent that he'd go on to be, like, screenwriter on The Searchers with John Ford. I mean, even outside of the pages of the New York Times, you had, like, Otis Ferguson, who wrote in The New Republic. I think when we talked about it happened one night, we argued Ferguson is one of the unsung heroes of American film criticism. And he goes on to say, you know, the word that comes in most handy for The Grapes of Wrath is magnificent. Movies will probably go on improving and broadening themselves, but in any event, The Grapes of Wrath is the most mature picture story that has ever been made in feeling, in purpose, and in use of the medium. You can drag out the classics, it is often safer not to go back and see them, and you can roll off names in different tongues and times, but this is a best that has no very near comparison to date. I still don't know how they did it, though the possibility has been latent in Hollywood for years. Uh, You could even go to, like, Bosley Crowther, who was, like, the New York Times official film critic, like, at this time. When he retired in 1967, he singled out The Grapes of Wrath as one of the greatest American films ever made, alongside Citizen Kane and Gone with the Wind. Uh, So, like, it, it was very much received at the time with this very enthusiastic and excited response immediately seized upon as a classic. But, like, 
then in the 60s, you have this kind of, it's it's too much to call it like a pushback or a backlash, but you have this almost kind of like slight critical reevaluation of it, where you have like Andrew Saris and Geher du Cinema describing it as new deafish propaganda that has dated badly. Pauline Kael remembers it as embarrassingly sentimental. And so you start seeing this kind of argument that it's, it's, maybe overvalued, it, it's maybe overappreciated, it's maybe a bit saccharine, it's maybe a bit cheap, but we'll we'll probably unpack that in a little bit. But Andrew, sorry, you mentioned uh your abiding memories of the Grapes of Wrath was that that great Simpsons gag. Um pretty much, yeah. And I, I okay. and as I as I say, I was kind of um thinking that um other members of the um JB um C U would um or um sorry jscu <laughs> would appear later on in this um so i i was i was um breathtakingly ignorant um yeah all right so very quickly just in terms of kind of background for this as well obviously this is a product of the great depression uh, it's written by Steinbeck, who's generally seen as kind of a New Dealish liberal, is how he's presented, perhaps a bit left of that as well. Um, he famously, this book was massively controversial uh, when it was released. There were book burnings held in California, and we'll talk specifically about why California in particular. You know what you want. Yeah, <laughs> not really a great advertisement for the state, if we're being entirely honest. Um, it was banned uh, from libraries in Oklahoma and in California because of its portrayal of those two states as well. Um, it was inspired by Steinbeck's experiences in Salinas, California, which, by the way, just for listeners out there who want a bit of context, is known as, and I quote, the lettuce capital of the world. <laughs> um so it was inspired by his experiences there, watching migrant workers kind of come in and be exploited. Um, and apparently it caused such a reaction um, that he was basically forced into exile. Um, he, The old Valley families hated him because of his depiction of them in East of Eden, uh, because of his scathing attack on them in Grapes of Wrath as well. And as you said, you know, citizens of Monterey, they hated him because of uh, his depiction of eccentric idlers in Tortilla Flat and derelict and horrors in Canary Roll as well. Um, Steinbeck always said that Salinas would only be happy to have him home in a pine box. I think they said, like, um, John, uh, let let us alone. Stop picking on us. Um, but yeah, basically, um, he, he did, though, eventually, he kind of fled them. He fled in, like, 1942, a year or two after this was published. Um, and in the end, he was buried there when he passed away in 1968. So, so he, he did come back in a, in a pine box, like, as promised. He did come back in... As promised, as delivered. In a um, way, we all come back in a pointing box, don't we? Like the great, the great ones don't. Everybody is like, kind of, oh, we need to bring Oscar Wilde back and bury him in Glass Nevin. <laughs> he's, he's, ah, he's fine in Switzerland. He's fine. No, by he, way, he's well away from everybody or wherever he is. He's in Paris. I think it's Joyce is in, in Switzerland. I think ah, Joyce yeah. is in Zurich. But like, don't bring any of these. Writers no, back. Leave Joyce and Zurich. Yeah, they, they, they weren't appreciated <laughs> where 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 they came from. So like, you know, I I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Uh, but Steinbeck is in Salinas. I think Canary Row is in Salinas as well. Yeah, no, that's it exactly. Um, well, it's Monterey, I believe, the seacoast town on the west end of Salinas Valley. Yeah. Hmm. Um, 
And you have like, I love that, by the way, like they sent the New York Times, like sent reporters there after he died and they were very glowing. John would have been 80 years old in February 27th. His contemporaries are dead. His quarrels were with them. He didn't tell the bad <laughs> things about us right now. So we have no axe to grind. And also we're very happy to capitalize on the publicity and tourism that results uh, from John Steinbeck's portrayal of the valley. Yeah. But the, the novel is released. Um, it is controversial, as we mentioned, but it catches the eye of Daryl Zanuck, who is the head of production at 20th Century Fox. Now, it doesn't catch Zanuck's eye because Zanuck is somebody who believes he wants to make a bold social commentary about New Deal America because he wants to evangelize or because he believes in the value of it. In fact, I believe he was a staunch uh, old party Republican uh, who was very much against the politics of... But well, Darren, you talk uh, about you... old party Republican as if that meant the same thing in 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 in, in the 40s. Well, in the context of the New Deal, it does though, right? Because it was, it was the Democrats and the Republicans, right? You, you, Roosevelt was seen as the devil. Um, well, like, like, like it was, it was before the the kind of um, uh, um, southern charge. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it, uh, um, it w- you you would have had those Dixiecrats like kind of up until the sixties and all that. Like you're, you're you're sorry, and I I'm I'm nitpicking. I beg your pardon. Um, okay. Darren is googling. <laughs> He's like, no, Andrew, you're no, wrong. I was. Sorry. I was, I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was actually. <laughs> Call my bluff, Andrew. No, just no, in, was, in the I sense was, of like it, it having one time being kind of, you know, the party of Lincoln and that sort of thing. And yes, yeah. yes. And, and yes, but it is it is worth noting if this is a pro New Deal book. Yeah. And in fact, arguably to the left of the New Deal, the fact that Zanuck is a Republican is a big deal to mention in that context. In particularly in the context I was about to get into, which is the idea that he pays 75 grand for the rights to this, which is apparently $1.4 million today. I believe it's the most that anybody paid for a book adaptation in 1939. I believe it was something like the only, the third highest amount of money that had been paid for a literary adaptation to that point as well. And worth noting, this comes a year after The Wizard of Oz and a year after Gone with the Wind as well to place it in its proper context. Um, but you also have Zanuck, when he takes the book, he makes a point to A, insist that the adaptation of it kind of tones down some of the rougher edges. We'll talk about those when we get into the spoiler zone. He also commissions uh, private investigators to actually investigate the camps. Uh, in which this is set to make sure that the conditions match uh, kind of Steinbeck's uh, depiction of them to make sure that it's not unfair or it's not controversial. It's not something that could be potentially controversial as well. And the reason why Zanuck commissions this movie is because he wants an Oscar. Um, he had worked at Warner Brothers. Um, he had commissioned like breathless films about the Depression, like Wild Boys, The Road, Heroes for Sale, for example. Yeah. And um, when he came to 20th Century Fox, uh, it's a lot like the situation, I think, when we talked about uh, Columbia Pictures uh, back when it is, you know, when it was, it happened one night where you had this studio that was like hugely financially successful. I mean, Zana could overseen, I think, Shirley Temple musicals and kind of nostalgia pieces starring like Alice Faye and stuff like that. Uh, and he managed to attract audiences. Uh, but there was kind of a weight of expectation against him. I believe he was at the time the only genteel uh, who was managing uh, kind of a major movie studio. Uh, Fox, which had been one of the studios that had been merged into 20th Century Fox, had won the first Best Picture Oscar, I think, for Wings as well. But 20th Century Fox had yet to take home the gold itself. 
And Zanuck was like very eager to get out there and to prove and to demonstrate that it was a real prestige studio to the point of like hiring John Ford, who had already kind of already got a statue uh, for his direction of the informer. Uh, at this point as well but in fact like like you could argue uh and and in fact far far smarter people than i far more knowledgeable people at the era than i such as like david Kerr, have argued that like at the end of the 30s you start seeing this transition you know arguably in wider american cinema which we'll we'll probably talk about later but specifically in the context of the kinds of movies that win awards where you start seeing a push towards more kind of prestigious, more earnest, more socially important, uh, more austere movies that are kind of like pushed towards the awards bodies as like vitally important pieces of social commentary. Green Book. Yeah, <laughs> the masterpiece that is Green Book. But well, like, no, back, in the sense like it, that like it's 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 probably not the best, almost certainly. In fact, I'd say definitely not the best uh, movie that year, like by by a long way. But it's it's the kind of movie that Oscar voters, that Academy Award voters tend to like, because it's kind of the it 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 meets that description that you're um, making. Yeah, that's kind of earnest, worthy. Um, yeah, because like you can make you can you can attach that description to movies that are the best movie of that year. Of their year, and and it it yeah. Well, I mean, it, it is worth noting, like, just, just for context, earlier this year, we talked a little bit about It Happened One Night, which is kind of a screwball romantic comedy, and mm. that won Best Picture. And we talked at the time about how it's almost impossible for a straight comedy, a i.e. a non-important in inverted commas, or non-issue-driven, or non, right. you know, like, nothing, something like The Artist. It's impossible or for... a genre movie. Film, yeah, yeah, to win. Whereas, like, you go back into the early 1930s and you have stuff like Noel Coward's kind of cavalcade winning as well. You have, like, again, the field is, it's much less codified, it's much less austere, it's much less kind of serious and self-important. And the idea is that, yeah, around this time is where you start to see the movies that are competing for Best Picture uh, kind of, like, becoming more conventional, more earnest, more self-important, more self-serious in some ways. And you could argue then that, like, it was this big push that people like Zanuck were doing to kind of take home the awards. But all right, so before we talk about the movie in a bit more depth, three questions uh, to get us started. So, Ronan, do you think The Grapes of Wrath belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? I think um, on on this list, especially in terms of its cultural importance, its centricity to the evolution of cinema and... um, American cinema, especially, you, you can absolutely see why it's there. It's kind of totemic, really, isn't it? Um, it fits in with all the cultural, political climate. Um, I'm, I'm not at all surprised to see it um, have the stature it has. Um, and it's, it, you know, also kind of advances the art of cinema very much. The cinematography is, you know, with Citizen Kane, as you mentioned, yeah. Greg Toland. Greg Toland, too. yeah. Um, it's, uh, I think it's really interesting you mentioned the. Um, the, the fact it was kind of snapped up for adap- adaptation quickly. Cinema was still at this point kind of trying to figure out what it wanted to be, and it was borrowing narratives from other media. And this is an interesting example of how it kind of found, found a way to speak in its own voice. So, yeah, I think it's it, it's an important thing for people to see if they want a, a good grounding in, in the history. Yeah, so when you talk about speaking in its own voice, it is it is a very cinematic adaptation it uses things like montage and kind of like framing and, and kind of like the way in which it uses the language of cinema to tell the story as opposed to a literary um kind of thing would you care to elaborate on that or kind of expand on that or i think it's you've gone down a rabbit hole here but it, it gets into a wider thing about um 
about what's really interesting about Ford that, as we were saying before, we really associate him with the Western, but actually he did some really interesting stuff with the road movie, which I think is that kind of unspoken other massive element of American cinema. It's a real bedrock of American cinema, which hasn't really been um, diluted isn't the word, but you know, America, uh, Western Western cinema has evolved over the years into a whole range of other action pictures, superheroes, etc. The road movie has kind of always been there as a road movie, and the way that it hasn't shifted over the years is absolutely fascinating. So when you compare this to some of the stuff that's coming out nowadays, there are still road movies that look really similar to this, um, and I think th that makes this a really important reference point as probably John Ford's defining road movie. I like that. That's a very clear and interesting argument to make. We mentioned like It Happened One Night as well as kind of one example of that. But going from It Happened One Night to The Grapes of Wrath to something like, I don't know, Due Date or uh, the one where Seth Rogen travels with Barbara Streisand. Um, it is an interesting, it's an interesting, that's a very interesting observation. The road movie is arguably not as discussed. Yeah. There's one with like Jason. American John. It, it comes in so many different forms. Yeah. There's one with Jason yeah. Mansukas. Oh, sorry. Sorry, what and you're saying, Andy? Um, no, I was just going to give another example. <laughs> no, there, there's loads of examples. There, there, yep. yeah. And I think when it comes to around this time period where, as I say, um, American cinema is trying to figure out what it's doing, what it wants to be, what are the stories we want to tell, the road becomes a really important part of that because it's also the story of the country, right? It's the progress across the great landmass of America and a move um, from from one side of it to another it's the the progress that represents um the the idea of would you go so far as to say it's a push westward ronan mm. for two for 250 bingo and that's where it's a really interesting uh combination of western and road this is you know this is almost a point where he splits he goes down two different ways and uh i think this this movie gestures to westerns in some really interesting ways as well yeah, I mean, the, the, not to get too spoilery, but like even images of like the convoys are very much like the wagon trains. They're framed like the wagon trains. You have again, mm. like again, the opening shot of this movie is a crossroad, um, which feels quite appropriate. So, oh, by the way, um, uh, for anyone who wants to know why I was why I was in, interrupting there stupidly, uh, the long dumb road is the movie I was trying to think of. It's uh, Jason Mantzoukas and Tony Revolori. Um, Okay. I think there are two actors That's that we've new. covered on the... Uh, it's uh, 2018. Um, yeah. So it's two actors we've covered on the podcast. I think Jason Mansuk is for um, John Wick, was it? Um, John Wick 2. And and obviously Tony Ravelli for um, the the Grand Budapest Hotel. And um, the Spider-Man movies as well. Oh, and the Spider-Man yeah. movies, yes. And the Spider-Man movies. Who could forget those, <laughs> those great... Uh, <laughs> um, Jay... What about yourself? Do you think this belongs to the list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Uh, I think it's an unequivocal yes for me, I think. Um, I, I'm not really surprised it was my kind of movie. Mm. I would have been ex <laughs> I'd have been stunned if I didn't like it, but I didn't. I perhaps didn't expect to love it as much as I did. Um, I, would, I would very much argue against uh, Paul and Cale and Andrews Harris in this regard. I think they're completely off, way off the mark. I think it's a very radical film. Um, I think they mis they mistake saccharin for moving. Um, I think like there's always an end of the sentimentality in Ford's films, regardless, even in his westerns and everywhere. He's he's a sentimental director a lot of the time, and he has that kind of weird kind of thing where you could have seen where something's really rough, and then a minute later people are crying. It's just that kind of switch that he does quite a bit, and it's all present and correct here, I guess, as well. But it's more suited to the material, I think. And as a kind of, 
I think it's a it's a radical studio picture that you won't see the like of it again, particularly from a conservative Hollywood till perhaps Warby's Reds, which I think it probably put a line to two to nineteen eighty. Yeah, and that's a, that's forty years. <laughs> that's a, that's a long time for a studio to bankroll something like that. And I suppose in nineteen forty, had the excuse, I suppose that like the Communist Party weren't quite the bad guys because you had Hitler. Um, so you, you got a couple of years off well, before it was re, re, realigned, I guess. I suppose Stalin and Hitler were both like tearing through Poland. Um, yeah, and they were, it, but like, I think the, the communist threat wasn't seen as equivalent. I think it was yeah. a kind of small, brief honeymoon period, sort of pre war and then towards middle and end of the war, where the kind of realignment well, of absolutely. Russia's that are real bad guys again well, was, thing so, where. I mean, certainly a few years later, like after yeah. kind of Operation Barbarossa, it's kind of like the the the, the whole kind of lend lease thing before 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 America coming in. There was a chic element of being yeah. the Communist Party or Communist Party Party adjacent for a lot of uh, kind of people. It was like smoking, very fashionable. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed, yeah. or in, we'll come back to that. Or in the 30s with the Civil War as well in Spain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the, you're, you're literally following on from that in terms of Spanish Civil War and stuff like that, where it was, was chic and it was the righteous uh, kind of positioning. And I think that disappeared then, but it was interesting. And I think that's what makes the film more interesting than a Hollywood classic best picture canonical film. I think it's more interesting than that. What I will say is because I have actually done some. 20% research on this but it's it's um Ebert Ebert supports your argument Ebert makes the point that it gets away with a lot because at the time I mean he would do wouldn't he God bless him He's always riding your coattails Yeah that's it exactly we talked about it on Speed 2 we talked about it here you you are our generation's Ebert <laughs> Jay um, Go on go on The other interesting angle on this is the angle that's kind of taken where and again this is maybe something we're going into the push and pull of the movie as well where like you have the argument that it it does soften some of Steinbeck's politics we'll talk specifically about how and why we get into the spore zone but it, it kind of allowed a lot of people who were worried about being seen as communist to kind of latch on to something that was left-leaning and socialist without being explicitly yeah uh, communists without being as radically left-wing as Steinbeck was. So they picked, for example, like Whitaker Chambers, who was the Time magazine film critic, who had been a communist and a spy for the Soviets before renouncing it all and becoming kind of fervently anti-communist after the purges. He talked, it, like, he reviewed it while taking the opportunity to... What, the films? Um, <laughs> but he... he, he <laughs> Yeah, he reviewed The Purges. No, he reviewed, um, obviously, the film that we're talking about today, The Grapes of Wrath, um, positively, while taking up... Have you eaten, Hawk? Um, while taking the opportunity to mention at some length how much he kind of disliked the book. <laughs> so you have, like, Whitt Whitaker Chambers in his review of the film saying, and I quote, It will be a red rag to bull-mad Californians who may or may not boycott it. Others who were merely annoyed at the exaggerations, propaganda, and phony pathos of John Steinbeck's best-selling novel may just stay away. Pinkos who did not bat an eye when the Soviet government exterminated three million peasants by famine will go for a good cry over the hardship of the Okies. But people who go to the pictures for the sake of seeing pictures will see a great one. For The Grapes of Wrath is possibly the best picture ever made from a so-so book. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting though. I doing a bit of read say it's it's. I think what you're talking about in terms of the film being kind of a a pushback. I think the pushback against, if anything, it seems to be against the novel. It's like a, there's quite a few people that kind of go, eh, don't know about the grace or that. Don't know about it. Where the film tends to escape it to some degree, not completely, 
but uh, it's interesting. Well, again, it's the argument again of cinema as a populist medium. And again, like Ronan kind of alluded to, this is a movie that exists quite there's at a crossroads in many ways in American culture. With the cafe yeah. called The Crossroads. The subtext or the point. It's not, not a subtle yeah. movie. <laughs> no. Um, no. I don't mind that, though. No, no, I, I, I don't really mind it either. It, it is a movie with a point and it makes its point um, to the extent that like, um, you know, if, if you're paying attention and you want to know what the movie is about, the movie will tell you like very clearly. Um, hal- um, more, by the way, that was the word I was trying to think of. Um, the the famine that Stalin <laughs> um, oh, okay, uh, was responsible for in 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 the Ukraine actually um, just to bring it all back and kind of make yeah, it, yeah, uh, yeah. again sort of underscore n- the way in which nothing ever changes yeah sorry um, but I mean and, and again like yeah okay we'll, we'll maybe talk a little bit about the kind of debate over the film and the book a little bit later but Aoife, what about yourself would this do you think this movie belongs on the list of the two hundred fifty greatest movies ever made um, see I always struggle with this question because I ask myself well are there you know 250 better movies out there the answer probably is maybe yes possibly there are and um you know i i agree with with sort of with jay it's definitely not a sentimental movie it's probably not as it's probably not as harsh as it could be but i understand why why it's not and i understand why they toned down the novel the way they did um like I, I was very moved watching it. You know, I was in tears a few times. Um, there were, you know, some of the things that happened on screen have echoes in what's happening today in terms of how people are being treated and how poor people are treated. Um, in terms of, you know, we have food banks, we have people queuing for food outside the GPO every night, and, you know, it's it was very, very interesting to me in that respect. I also take Roland's point that you know. It's it's a road movie, which was was really really fast fascinating to me just to watch it as as a road movie as a journey from you know from I actually looked up the map in the states to see the journey of the, the Jones took, and you know it it has a cultural imprint. I mean you know Bruce Springsteen had an album, The Ghost of Tom Jones, you know so you know so Tom Jones is still out there, you know fighting fighting the good fight, I suppose beating up cops. Yeah, beating up cops exactly. Um, so not just beating up cops, killing cops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doing oh, the Lord's work, that's what you yeah. like to call um, it. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you can edit that bit in. Yeah, or not, whatever you want. The real enemy is nuance, Jay. <laughs> Jay of his radical politics. Um, like I mean, and as I was watching this, I said, "Oh, Jay is going to love this anyway." Um, but yeah, no, I'm absolutely no problem. I think it is. I think it's a it is a really really good film. Um, I I you know I hadn't seen it and like I said I hadn't seen it in decades. I really really enjoyed it all over again. Um, I think it can be a little sentimental at times. Um, not that I agree with Pauline Kael's review, but definitely you know, it's can be a little bit too optimistic. Um, yes. I would have preferred a bit more pessimism. I think. Um. I would, you know, I would be as optimistic as as the film is in terms of human nature. Uh, for me, one of the most moving scenes was the scene um, in the in the gas station, the first gas station to stop at, where they, you know, the, the 
they give the kids the, you know, the loaf of bread, you know, and the the the, the waitress you know gives them the sweets, you know, two for a penny, you know, and it's desperately moving. Yeah, very, very incredibly moving, you know, and you know that that's what sort of gave me hope is that there are there are good people out there, there are kind people out there, even though you know later on in the film we don't encounter a lot of them, but they they are out there, but. So that's a very long-winded way of saying, yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy with it being <laughs> up to 250 <laughs> We, we so, should yeah. mention, in terms of like the movie's softness, and we will we will come back to the debate about like how harsh or how soft it is, how sentimental or how emotional it is, how moving it is, all that sort of stuff. It is worth noting that at the time it was sold, and I absolutely love this. The posters for the movie came with the headline, and I quote, the thousands who have read the book will know why, all caps, we will not sell any children tickets, lowercase, to this picture. I quite like that. It's like, just so you know, you're in for a hardcore yeah. ride. Only really cool kids are allowed to watch this movie. Um, but Andrew, do you think The Grapes of Wrath belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? I think it's dangerous, kami, mumbo jumbo. No. You're mute, Andrew. <laughs> oh, am I mute? Not that now. Oh, yeah. oh okay. Oh, sorry, I thought he was... I thought you were doing a bit. Sorry. I thought he was doing a bit. I thought he was. I thought he was pantomiming. Apologies. I'm not. Um, I'm we not. Can't hear you're, still you. at, you're still on mute, Andrew. Still on mute. I'm not on mute. No, I'm not. You're out of I, focus, Andrew. Somebody, somebody has <laughs> muted me. <laughs> we lost Andrew. Can you hear me this now? Is, this, this, this is now your Schindler's List uh, podcast. You yeah, just keep is, going now. This, I, I love that this is a recurring, recurring bit. Okay. Well, while Andrew figures out his his voice recording, we'll circle back around, Ronan. Is this one of your 250 favorite movies? Your 250 favorite movies of all time? Um, I think probably not, uh, but I have no idea. I have yet to make that list. Um, I think I would agree with Eva, and it gets. I almost. It, it sounds awful when you consider some of the content of it. I almost wanted to be a little more pessimistic at times because I think um, it's it's really about reinforcing that American spirit of um, dignity and perseverance, and I think in a way that can almost let systems off the hook sometimes where it says you know um we will triumph and we will get through this we should probably have an uprising before we do that as well i mean it is it is one of the observations uh, that was made about it uh was that i think and i think it was charles mayland who made the observation is that he sees the grapes of wrath we mentioned this idea of it existing at a crossroads it being a traditional point for american cinema um, but he says that it exists at a point where the American film industry at large went from social criticism to affirmation. Another indication of the decline of radicalism in American cinema between 1936 and 1941. Um, and again, it's kind of like just to pick an example of a movie that we covered on the podcast like recently this year from the 30s. Something like, say, Charles Chaplin's Modern Times feels more radical in terms of like what it's suggesting and how it's presenting that relationship between man and systems than Grapes of Wrath does. Where Grapes of Wrath feels, I think, perhaps a little bit like, again, as you said, we will overcome, we will persevere. People are fundamentally decent and that makes all the difference in the world. So no matter how bad things are, everything will work itself out in the end. Yeah, it is. And and I don't mean to do it down in any way by saying that because I, I, do, I do really, really like it and I really admire a lot of what it does. And I think you have to look at it in the context of the people who would have come to see it at the time who probably needed that message of we will overcome because they were dealing with these oppressive systems. And um, I, I think it's quite a, um, if not an uplifting film, it's quite an empowering one in that way. 
um, of going, you know, you you are part of this this movement of people who know that there is something not quite right. There's there's something in that that I really admire. I'm sorry, Andrew, are you back? I am back. Can you hear me? We can yes. indeed, yes. Exactly. We should have pretended we couldn't. I just keep the dick <laughs> off for a while. Like, that would have been great. Sorry, Andrew, we can't hear a word you're saying. It's... Yeah. yeah. I was just, to, just to get... I was just right. about to say that uh, you asked me to do, do I think it belongs to be on the top 250 uh, the movies of all time and I said that it's dangerous commie mumbo jumbo and that it should be uh, banned <laughs> and we should burn this book no I I I, um, I agree with um, with everything By the way Jay will be thrilled to hear one of the masterminds of the burn the book campaign in California was a bill camp my, 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 my hero. I'm not saying it was the Bill Camp. I'm not saying it was the Bill Camp, given that the, he wasn't born. No, what's the, <laughs> no, that man would not do that because he's amazing. But sorry, sorry, Andrew. Anyway. His, his name was Bill Camp. Yes, he was not actually one of he's the not, camps. He's not the great character actor Bill Camp of around today. But sorry, Andrew. But No, I, 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 I appreciate I, that. I, 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 <laughs> I would. I, 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 I think it's a tremendous adaptation. Um, I haven't read the book, but it didn't. Uh, I mean, sorry, it does feel like a book, but um, it's it's also it's also very cinematic. I, I and I, I I think it's pushing the medium forward. It's not the kind of movie, the kind of old movie that you watch and you think, oh my my gosh, how um, how contemporary. That I think like we sometimes find with some of the the the, the wilder movies. How they're 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 actually quite kind of um, kind of contemporary almost sometimes in some of yeah. the sort of like sensibilities or some of the humor even, um, but but it it does it does feel like an old movie, but not, not like that is I guess that's not a bad thing. There are people who will not watch um, old movies, and this will feel like an old movie, but it's worth it. And I I feel like I'm speaking as to to like an audience of philistines, which is probably not. <laughs> um, or but I I mean like Darren for example, you you I feel that way all the time, Andrew. <laughs> don't don't sweat it, Darren. You 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 hadn't seen it. I had, and seen I, it. I I I I think you enjoyed it kind of as much as everyone else. Um, we'll get to that. We'll <laughs> oh, okay. So, do do you think it belongs on the top two hundred and fifty movies? And the mood of the room just shifts there. Of all There's time. factions being created as we <laughs> yeah, speak yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I do I do I do think it belongs. I think you make a very yeah. solid argument for it being on the list. I think it's a hugely important film in terms of American cinema. I think everything that Ronan J. Efa yourself said mm. is true. Um, I think it is important. I think it captures a moment in time. I think it is, as we said, positioned at a shift in, in terms of American pop culture as well, where it's the point where Oscar movies start looking like this. It's the point where movies arguably become less about criticism and more about affirmation. Uh, it's a movie that, as we said, codifies the road movie and gets involved with the Western. It's hugely important in terms of John Ford's filmography. Um, it is one of the formative American texts. It is a movie that is an adaptation of a book where the two of them are intermingled together all of those factors, I think it is very hard to create an argument that it doesn't belong on a list like this. I also think it passes the Darren Watermark test of is it better than The Help? Spoiler, I think it is. Um, what? So it, <laughs> I know, shockingly. Um, but, but there was very little help. I, I, I mean, you, no, okay, we're not going down the rabbit hole of the straight line you can draw from The Grapes of Wrath to The Help. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to rise to that Okay, Don't worry, I'll take 20 minutes out to do that later. <laughs> yeah. and then, and then. That's Will, in the show uh, notes. 
That is in the show notes. Nobody gets served a pie made of human feces in this movie. Therefore, it doesn't belong on the list. Um, Jay, would this yes. be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favorite movies? Do you know what? I'm, I'm, the, I'm generally the person that's kind of crapping on the cannon from a great height for the last decade or whatever, right? And then baking it into a so, pie. And, and baking it into a pie. And now I, I'm reaping what I'm sowing, I guess, to some degree. When I say that, I kind of respectfully disagree with Aoife and Ron, and I think a it would be on my top two because I think it's brilliant, and b I I fundamentally disagree. I don't I don't I don't think it's optimistic, and I I don't but I don't think it's nihilistic, and I don't think it needs to be to get across the points it needs to get across. I think I think in and of themselves, people are fundamentally decent. Hmm. There's a lot, and we get into it, I suppose, when we get into it properly, but there's a lot of reasons why people view the world the way they view the world, and it's not necessarily to do with themselves. I think people in and of themselves are fine and can do the right thing and do do the right thing. And I think I think that's very moving in this film. I think, it, And I think even the end of the film, without getting into spoilers of it yeah. yet, I think... I don't mind that. And I think I think Ronan's very correct in terms of, I think, of the time it was certainly needed. But I, I, I think it's still needed now. I, I, I don't. I think fundamentally the position hasn't changed. I don't. I don't. I feel that film is bang up to date in the context yeah. of what the world should be about, as opposed to what the world is. We all know what the world is because it's already out there. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think it's I, a brilliant film, and it does. I think it would be on my top two fifty actually. I, 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 I really second what what Jay is saying there. The, 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 the way the movie approaches things, it's not that all is good or all is bad. I don't think it's it's optimistic or pessimistic. I I I I think it's making a much more subtle point that the um, there is a way in which people have been alienated from I guess their true selves, from like a disconnection from communities and from maybe families, perhaps religion. There's maybe an argument um, in it, but I, 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 yeah, but the, 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 but the, the, yeah, that, that's, I mean, there is a, there is a a former preacher here whose initials are JC who dies for somebody's sins. Sorry, I know that's probably a spoiler. Well, I mean, I mean, there's somebody on this podcast who's dying, whose initials are JC dying and for sins as well, just to say. Like. That's it. I mean, uh, uh, Jay doesn't okay. compare himself to Jesus Christ, but he's all right if other people <laughs> yeah. do, you know. The, I, put, I'm, I literally put myself on the cross here for you guys. That's what I'm doing. Like. It seems like he's assembling it right in front of us. I'm quite curious how he's going to get the second nail in. I actually would do that, except I am terrible at DIY. I, <laughs> I'd have to hire somebody. Crucify him crucify him <laughs> what's mccallis no yeah you are you are a christ figure jay um, thanks thanks yeah i don't have the beard that you have Andrew, that's, <laughs> it's not quite as ful- fulsome but i appreciate the gesture nonetheless yeah the the but no, no but it's that point and 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 jay me, 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 uh, mentioned it there it's kind of it's consumerism and 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 capitalism it's, it, it's and systems in general aren't yeah they? like again yeah. throughout the film there's this recurring motif where it's the systems that are broken it's the fact that you can't find any people in it it's like well who's responsible for this oh it's the bank but okay well who in the bank do i talk to oh no well if you could find somebody he'd just be talking to the guys in the east coast who manage the bank it's like mm. okay, well who there do i talk to and it's like well they just answer to the market De- generally. depersonalization i guess yeah. 
Well, and industrialization, arguably. Yeah. My, yeah. my favorite line in the whole thing is, well, so who do I shoot? My mantra. ultimately responsible here. How do I deal with this? Yeah. <laughs> there has to be somebody up this chain of command who understands how a shotgun works, right? Um, but yeah, this yeah. idea of kind of... The business end. The business end. Again, very much like modern times tapping into that again, 30s Great Depression kind of thing. The industrialization, the idea of, yeah, the erosion of the individual and all this sort of stuff yeah. as well. But Aoife... Um, what about yourself? Would this be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favourite movies? Um, I'm going to say no. And um, and the reason for that is, you know, I watched it decades ago and I have to ask myself why I haven't watched it since. And it's not because it's a bad film. It is a very good film and I really, really like it. But could I see myself watching this again in the next... You know, 40 years and well that's it you know if i wait for you know, maybe on my deathbed I go, well, it's 40 years now since i've watched we'll, we'll re- we reconvene for a podcast yeah, on our deathbed <laughs> eva we'll, we'll we'll do a yeah, right time, like you time, know what i mean time to rewatch the great wrath before i head off you know um the 250 so, 2.5 um, yeah um, put a little note on your body as well just to, to let people know that oh, we so did he's murdered you all right yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and also i wanted <laughs> to watch the grapes of wrath um yeah It'll be it'll be part of my do not resuscitate notion. <laughs> <laughs> you can only not resuscitate after I've watched the grapes of wrath. Wake um, up! Looks like it's the, the diner scene, Eva. But you know, I mean, oh, and that's not to do it a disservice. It is a, it is a great film. It's a really really good film. I really liked it, but I just can't see myself watching it again for quite some time. So it's not it's not eminently rewatchable like I would expect. You know, a classic film to be, or a film that I love to be, and that's not to say that there are not great things in it and things to really admire about it, but I still wanted something vicious, I think, and more visceral. Um, I think it was just too; it was a little bit too nice for my liking. Um. The grapes could have been a bit more sour, is what you're saying. They could have been, or a bit more wrathy, you know. Do you know that? Uh, do you know that? Um, <laughs> the mixture just wasn't right. Too, do you know too much that, grapes, not enough wrath. Yeah. There was a tweet that went around years ago, and I, I tried to look it up today, and I for, then I forgot to go back to it. Uh, the guy talking uh-huh. about watching our reading, catching the rye. He's like, I really like the he catches that freaking rye. I want to do a bit about the grapes of wrath, but uh, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't look up to find it to do it. It's like, God damn it, when did the other That would have been really good. I really, I really has he rats though. Uh-huh. Grapes. Yeah. yeah. I the he finally he finally kills that mockingbird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I I guess then Eva, it all comes down to there are just other movies that you are more fond of. Stop that, Darren. Yeah, I mean, and I think okay. the fun, oh, stop. Okay, very. Yeah, I missed that. You, 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 you can answer it though as an honest question because it seems like you're going to say some, something there. Well, so like, okay. Give some love to my lettuce I, pun from earlier, Darren. That was like for you. <laughs> Like to, I, I, to to sate your appetite for this nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Eva. Um, no, no, it's fine. I can take it. Um, no, I think for subject matter like this, you know, you need something. I'm just trying to articulate what I'm trying to say here, but you know, I think you know something like a you know maybe a, a black comedy would have worked really well. You know, something really dark and vicious because you know we know who the enemies are in this film, but it's. You know, it's just that the you know the good guys in the film are they're just too 
they're too nice and it's like oh yeah we will we will carry on and we will just we, we will survive he did he did he did like kill two people in fairness like do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. a hero a hero he forgot what he wants like should have killed 10 you're, you're insatiable for those murders even. <laughs> should have been a serial killer i mean it, you know, you're waiting is the moment like after he gives the big speech i'll be there too he puts on a batman cowl and he puts on a yeah. gets a machine gun but, <laughs> but jay jay Eva has seen the movie she still feels it's too soft. <laughs> the, 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 the several kind of homicides, um, uh, uh, or which may or may not um, be, be happen fair. in this movie. Well, to be fair, one of them does happen before the opening credits. So that I think is that's true. Safe yeah, about. yeah, we can um, we can guarantee that there will be at least one mention <laughs> one of one person dead by the time in, the movie starts. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but. Andrew, what about yourself? Would this be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favorite movies? I think so. Like, I feel like good man, Andrew. it's an important movie to have on I good... Jay, stop trying to split the podcast. Like, stop <laughs> trying to... It's, it's not. It's like, it's so rare that I'm cheerleading <laughs> and everybody yeah. else is, eh, like, I, I'm usually the yeah, guy. Like, I, I, it feels a weird position to be in. I need help. <laughs> Listeners can see Jay rearranging his Zoom windows. Um... You've no idea, man. <laughs> I think it's an important movie to have on Good Movie Island so that our children, you know, can learn, I suppose, about the world. Um if 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 it's not a children of men situation and they're they're all dead. Um and I do love by the way that it went from Good Movie Island went from being like a place where Andrew is going to a place where Andrew is establishing a society. Imagine if Good Movie we, Island We live in a society, Andrew. We do live in just, a society. Just to say, like, just want to make that if, explicitly clear. What if Good Movie Island is, um, like, New Zealand and it's all tech billionaires, like Peter Thiel and that? <laughs> That's where you bring the gun, Andrew. <laughs> exactly. Not yeah. the cannoli. I, I do think it should be on the top two. It, it would be on mine because um, Jay gave me a few bob. Good man. Whatever it takes. Yeah. <laughs> all right, then. And for myself, probably not. Um, this is the thing where we brush up against Darren being a movie philistine, where I'm not a big fan of the golden. No, age but of it's not your kind of movie. Like you don't like stuff like cinema parody, so or good films. Which is probably more, which is probably more a kind of like. A, a, Actually, I don't like cinema parody, so either in fairness, so you know, no. But I, I suppose the thing about the cinema parody, so it's more obviously a case of. Um, what um, what this movie has been accused of being, I guess, in terms of being like kind of saccharine and that and, and that you, sentimental. Yeah, I'm yeah. also not a fan of a fan of Amelie and all this sort of yeah. stuff as well. But I mean, just just generally, I'm not a huge fan of that period in American cinema, kind of the right. from like the, the the code era, basically. Um, the I, golden age. <laughs> Yeah, the gold, golden age. Some um, of the greatest songs ever made. Yeah, that, that I, age. I know. Yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm well aware I'm a philistine. I'm not pretending that I'm <laughs> you're right, not, Jay. You're not. I'm, I'm, you're not. I'm not arguing that. You did lead with that. Yeah, you did lead with that. I did. That was my opening argument. I know I'm wrong. Nobody hears that after you say the next day. <laughs> sentence. That's the problem. Yeah. Like. Everything before the butt is just. <laughs> it's no Jupiter ascending. Yeah, uh, exactly. that's it exactly. How many Wachowski <laughs> movies were made during the golden age of Hollywood? None. None. <laughs> Makes um, you think. It it does, doesn't it? Um, but this is why I'm dre- this is why I'm dreading talking about Casablanca. To be fair, so this is the trial run for Darren, Casablanca. If you you we will go after you with machetes if you you dis Casablanca. Like even tell him. To be clear, I have not dissed anything. You sound like you're about to trash Casablanca, Darren. That's what it sounds like to me. That's sacrilege, Darren. That's like that's heresy. It's it's treason in in cinematic terms. 
Me? Okay, well, welcome to the Casablanca podcast, apparently. <laughs> it's, um, it's, I think this it's, is a mutiny. I think this I, is bet you, I guess we won't be invited onto that one. <laughs> <laughs> Darren stacking it's, the decks. Um, I would. Armand White is coming on. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, sorry. it's me. It's me, Casablanca. It's not Sue Casablanca. Um, <laughs> oh, nice, or, nice, Andrew. That's very nice. I like that. Or how do I say R? <laughs> Casablanca. Sorry. <laughs> um, nos, nos. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, something um, like that. And look, we, we've talked about it before. Like there, there are golden age movies that I obviously really, really love. I love like the Billy Wilder movies, the the Lubitz movies. I'm very fond of you know the, the kind of the old fashioned musicals, the old fashioned westerns, kind of spectacle, the biblical epics, things that the studio system was like very, very good at producing. The Wizard of Oz is one of my favorite movies of all time. So like I'm obviously not dismissing the entire golden age studio system of Hollywood, uh, but I do find that when it gets into issues of like you know social realism or sexuality or or brutality or oppression or social issues in general i find myself unconvinced by these movies because of the the obvious limits imposed on them by things like the production code and it's it's not just you know by virtue of it being the 30s or the 40s it, it's like even compared to something like the the chaplin movies where chaplin is frequently dinged for being overly sentimental like, I find the depictions of poverty in movies like, say, The Kid or Modern Times to have more bite to them than kind of this one does here. More more tragedy, more more kind of pathos, more horror at how inhuman the, the, the world around these characters is and how these characters will never actually triumph despite that, which you, you can't really get away with in, in movies being produced at, at this time. And I, like, I, and again, I, we've kind of, I think we've talked about this before where I'm, I'm just, I'm very skeptical of the Hayes Code and the production code and like what that did to the American kind of psyche. Ronan kind of alluded to it there, the triumphantism, the exceptionalism, the idea that like this codified a, a certain aspect of American pop culture where like I'm, I'm getting people in in my Twitter mentions like for the trailer for Babylon saying that Babylon is unrealistic because people, you know, weren't swearing and having sex in the 1930s. And, and you know, that's a large part down to the way in which Hollywood decided to portray American society in like the 30s and 40s and through the golden age. And, and it's it's not a moral point and it, it's not a qualitative point. Like, this is a case where I'm very happy that we're splitting the two questions because this is just a very personal, very subjective thing where when these movies kind of dabble in, in that social realism and, and can't deliver on it, they, they end up kind of putting me at a distance. They create a distance between me and the film that doesn't exist uh, between me and, say, a musical of the era, a Western of the era, uh, me and The Wizard of Oz, for example, which is very much not a social realist piece of cinema. Um, and, and, you know, obviously something that the distance that doesn't exist would say, you know, 70s cinema, postcode cinema, or even like 20s precode cinema. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. But like, I, I again... Very similar to the kind of arguments I think that Eve advanced there, which is I I do find this movie like gallingly sentimental in places. I think some of the changes that were made, like to the structure of the text, and the reason why those changes were made to the structure of the text, come across as quite cynical to me, if I'm being very frank. Um, and it it does seem like the movie goes out of its way to avoid dwelling on the really really terrible aspects of what is happening it, it is as upbeat as it is possible for this story to be uh, and while that is not necessarily very upbeat it is still more upbeat than i think the story should be 
Um, and so, but that, kind is of, that not the tragedy of it? In what sense? Sorry? In the sense of that, these are um, uh, almost a kind of like a caricature of innocence. It, it is, but it also feel if like again a lot. Of, and again, Do you feel like is, it, it? It lets people off because it, it, the 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 problem I think these days watching the movie is that people want. Or sorry, this is like me on my soapbox, but that people want her to be a villain rather than the system itself to be the villain, if you know what I mean. And 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 that it's maybe the movie is maybe guilty of letting people off, but I don't think it's guilty of letting this system off. But I mean, not to get too spoilery, but like, no, the, no. The, 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 there is a good system in this movie. Like, there is a there point is. where they arrive, and it's like, yeah, this is this is the way that things should be. And in the- yeah, in fairness, though, that is, that is reaching towards. Um, I want to put this very carefully now, yeah. in terms of the thing, but it it's reaching towards uh, government reach out yeah. as a, as it should be a safety net, yeah, as in public service as it should be. As it should be, but it's almost it's it's almost like paradise. It's almost like yeah. But I think I, I think I I agree, and it's an I think it's an exaggerated effect. But I think yes. it's a comparable thing to it. It's to show what could be done yeah. as opposed to what is done, and I think that works very effectively. And it's a parable because it, it is a film, and it is a nineteen forty film. It's not yeah. It's not it's not new Hollywood. There's only so much you can yeah. get away I, with. I, in fairness, like I know I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not like complaining in that sense but i no i'm not not just yeah but i think there's only so much you can do within the parameters you've got it's it it goes back to not being a subtle movie like the the the, they're being kind of like black hats and white hats and not really having shading and nuance and yeah um and like the and like it's very clear like where what it's saying where it's like it and i don't mind i don't mind the lack of subtlety it's not actually the lack of subtlety i'm complaining about it's the way in which it tries to be very blunt and almost documentarian in its presentation of what life is like for these people but it's also at the same time also trying to be weirdly aspirational and kind of almost fairy tale-esque in its treatment of these people and their experiences and those two aspects of the film don't reconcile for me. I mean, like to to pick a very small example, it, it's little things like the presentation of the farm on a, like a sh- on a set. The, it's a studio backlot. The actual farm that is lost and destroyed is on a studio backlot. So it becomes this kind of nostalgic thing that never actually existed and doesn't feel like it was ever really real. Um, and it's like that's that feels like it's it's constructing. Is that your golden age kind of? This is kicking in there, though. It, it, I'm willing to admit it might well be, but I mean, do, I do love The Wizard of Oz, where that hyper reality like plays into something. Here, but instead, I, think I love it. I love a studio bound sets. Like I, okay. I luxuriate in them in the ways mm. that probably is unhealthy, quite frankly. Like <laughs> I, I actually love the kind of fake sunsets and shadows and the and the control that techno technically you can have in it. And even though Ford puts a lot of it on the road as well, but I I, I think it's gorgeous think, within that. I think as well. Sorry, just to, to just before you respond, Darren. I think as well on that point of the uh, sets versus the um, uh, shooting on location. I think we spoke when we were talking about who shot Liberty Valance about it, yeah. about the way Ford uses sets versus the way he uses locations and, and locations, to, to, yeah. to 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 um to create a, a um um to very good effect in the sense in the sense that the the, the this thing you're saying about it, it the home place being on a set it does feel like it's this kind of um 
remembered thing, you know? Yes. Yes, but in Liberty Valance, that construct is very much a place that isn't real. The, the whole point of Liberty Valance is that that place never really existed. It was a fantasy that was packaged and sold. Right. And like it's contrasted with reality. Here, you were meant to believe the Joads actually lived in this imaginary fairy tale land. And it's not the real place like i mean I, like oh, okay. edwin edwin Locke, who is an actual who was a filmmaker and was like one of the boards of the american film committee and all this sort of stuff back in the 1930s like he made a very very good argument that like ford is a director who's known for his use of locations like monument valley is obviously the mm. big very famous one yeah. and he's one of the directors who defined america on screen mostly by using real locations and like he, he says here, like the opening of the picture is greatly weakened because he's given us no feeling of the country or the people's background. Where are the vast stretches of the Dust Bowl and the tiny houses as lonely as ships at sea? It doesn't exist anymore. Where is the dust? It's hard to believe Ford has ever seen the plow that broke the plains. It is baffling to hear that a camera crew was sent to Oklahoma along Route 66. Certainly but a few feet of their film was used. Uh, it was regrettable that the Joads were snatched across the beautiful and terrifying expanse of the country in a few pans and processed shots. We could have justly expected more. We could have expected more of what it's like to be tractored off the land, more than the knocking over of a prop house by a caterpillar roaming at large, more than a hackneyed montage of clackering monsters in abstract manoeuvres. We might have had all those things and a richer picture if Ford had followed a little further the documentary technique that is now being talked about in connection with his later work. Like I can, I can take that point to a certain degree, okay. but what I will say though is that Ford like I think there's a, a lot of that kind of criticism comes at like because he does the Monument Valley stuff so I was like yeah if it was a different director I don't think it would be yes that's fair put out the same way do you know what I mean and I think but he'd done Stagecoach like, before this right done, yeah year before I, but yeah, like, I, I do think like you, you, the, for me the connection to the land for the people in it and I think it's mentioned earlier on the film, and I, like again, not going to spoilers, and we're still kind of rambling on about this, but that kind of the blood in the soil element, that the hand in the soil, the kind of it's a connection from the people to the ground yeah. as opposed to the the expanse. It's it's and Ford's very much centered the people mm. in that as opposed to the grand wide open spaces of X. The Oklahoma thing is the people; it's not the place. It's the, such because the yeah, land's gone, and I I suppose they did. I feel like I'm always going to de uh, defend Ford and give him the benefit of the doubt in terms of like, because you notice um, how clever he is with um, some of the cinematography and how, for example, like you, 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 you have that, like, I don't, it doesn't spoil anything to say there, there is, there is, there is a Dutch angle kind of later in the movie yeah. and it's a POV. Yeah. But it's also it also works very well with the kind of tone and mood of the scene in the sense of them being um, somewhere uh, new where nobody knows them and feeling kind of displaced. So the, 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 the likes of the kind of early kind of set work and that I'd, I'd agree with Jay that I, 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 I think it's intentional and I, 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 th I think it, it um, but, but having said that, maybe I'm just kind of, you know, always going to, going to defend him. Oh no, like I, I like Ford as well. Anyway, sorry, this has been a tangible, sorry, I'm sorry. sorry, we'll get back to, but we'll, we'll jump into the spoiler zone very quickly. So Ronan, if listeners have not seen The Grapes of Wrath, John Ford's 1940 adaptation of the John Steinbeck novel, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device if they can find it? to a local device what about phrase it yes do, do. 
<laughs> we're still in pandemic mode. We're still in pandemic mode, unfortunately. Um, watch, watch it wherever and, and however you can if you've got some sort of smart contact lens. <laughs> I don't I don't mind. Just put it on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and Jay. Yeah, yeah right. And uh, Darren, in, in the context of its availability is tricky. Um, Particularly in it, Ireland. It's and, very and, hard to find in Ireland. Well, it's very easy to find if you know where to look. Oh, but, okay. <laughs> What I will say though, no, you're right. But like what I'd say, to have somebody of the caliber of John Tolan shoot, oh, sorry, Greg Tolan shooting something like this, um, and not have it say at least on Blu-ray or 4K, seems scandalous to me. Just on the front of a purely visual point of view, we get into the rest of it for another thing. But it's one that it's an extremely beautiful film. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's mad that you can't see that. <laughs> like nobody has scanned it and made a proper thing from the original negative or whatever. Uh, it's bonkers to me considering how much of Ford's work, even some of his early stuff that hardly anybody's seen has been put into box sets. It's mad that this hasn't got any sort of... Restoration along those lines. Uh, and I think Aoife spoke to it earlier on about the kind of, it's kind of disappeared a little bit. I think that's correct. Um, sadly. Like, I mean, even if you don't love the film, but you know how ravishing it look on a big screen or yeah. a proper mm. thing. So if you can find it online in various grubby corners of the internet where I found it, yeah, absolutely go, go get you, it and watch it because it's you, essential in my opinion. You you struck somebody with a pick handle and <laughs> <laughs> I might have I might have I, I might not have you took it from them. I went hiding in yeah. the weeds anyway, so nobody saw me, so it doesn't really matter. Like, but it's okay because yeah, because Greg Toland uh, kind of stabbed him with a knife first, so it all yeah, yeah he did. In fairness, I, he went down yeah. first. I went down. Who knows? I, I got out four yeah. years, so I was fine. <laughs> yeah, um, and. And Aoife, if listeners have not seen The Grapes of Wrath, would you recommend they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? Absolutely. And, you know, you know, I'm going to say physical media, baby. Go and buy it. I Always. Go on, Aoife. Represent. It costs six quid to buy the DVD. It's available to buy. Go and buy it. No excuses. It should be a sharp. It, should, it needs an upgrade, but I respect that you have a DVD. Yeah. I mean, okay. <laughs> I, I love know, the like, judgment it, from Jay no, there. It's it's like, <laughs> if you have to have it, she's absolutely correct about having yeah. physical media. Like, if you have to have it, absolutely. But it, it deserves a bit more respect than that, considering the amount of dollars. I, 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 I couldn't find it. It's not on Blu-ray, so yeah. yeah. But, There's a lot of bad films that have spruced up uh, versions that cost a fortune and are terrible. And this is languishing on DVD. But, you know, the point is that it's there and it's for less than the price of a pint nearly, you know. just and it is in Dublin, it's less than the price of a pint for sure. There's no, there's no excuse. Just go and go and buy it and watch it. Yeah, damn right. Damn Get right. off your arse and go and buy it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the pull code, Aoife. <laughs> Six days wages for the for the Joad family. Like, yeah, that's yeah. It. You can just buy it. You have a thousand peaches to get a, get a DVD. <laughs> Every time I appear on this podcast, it costs me money. The last time I had to buy, I'm sorry. The last time I had to buy a new Blu-ray player, but so this was <laughs> Jesus Christ, you're committed, Eve. This was bargain at six quid, right? So I'm quite happy with that. Um, in future, we will check. Next time, it's going to be the clown that the clown that cried the Jerry Lewis film. Yeah. You have to buy like a five thousand euro version of. Have to buy a projector market. and a screen, yeah. yeah, and rent out. We're expensing all that, right? Yeah. Yeah, clearly. Um Next the, time, it, our Patreon users are paying for that <laughs> if we can find them. them. Yeah. The, the, the high tier, the premier I'll tier. I'll my expenses, Darren. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we'll, um, uh, yeah, the, what's we call it? Jay will also tell us um, how um, how much he paid for the movie. 
Yeah. I can tell you exactly. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Sure. If you would like, Andrew, sure. I can bring you through that. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Sheriff <right>. calls around. <laughs> it's like a note in the car number. Yeah. And Andrew, <laughs> Andrew, Andrew. Yes. If listeners have not already seen The Greats of Wrath, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and watch it? I would, I would, I would, I would present two options. I suspect this might be the kind of movie you will find at your local library. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah. And the second option is give Rupert Murdoch your money. It's on Sky. Uh, oh. <laughs> those <laughs> are just two. Download it for free. Don't those, give Rupert Murdoch your <laughs> Those are just two options. Sure, he'd be um, dead by the time the podcast goes out, anyway. So. <laughs> Or he doesn't. He doesn't own B Sky B anymore. Is that right? I mean, it yeah, feels it like he we, does. We can still if you watch the <laughs> yeah, exactly. All oh, right. Um, he'll he'll like like if it it it, um, yeah. It 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 won't kill him um, to um, to 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 not watch it. Uh, Rupert Murdoch won't see our mean tweets about him, but your your friends that love. The grapes of wrath will. Yeah. They, they, they... <laughs> well played, Jay. Well played. <laughs> so those are two options. You, 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 you'll, you'll, you'll probably, or, or, or you can do as Eva suggested. And I would recommend um, any of those. I am living with my parents, so I, I, I didn't, um, I didn't. Uh, Andrew, you oh. seem to muted yourself. Sorry. Can you hear me? Yes. I can indeed. Sorry, that was a very profound statement. I am living with my parents. And then, and then cut short, <laughs> mic drop. That is the same. Where's he going with this? Is that it? Much, much like Tom Jode. <laughs> oh, can you hear me now? <laughs> oh, can Andrew, you hear me? Are you there? Oh, I need to no, leave again. I need. I, if, I, you I full, need you to might leave never again. go full Tom Jode. Uh, yeah, okay. no. He seems to be saying that he needs to turn the volume up. No, no, no. Okay, he's nodding. He's indicating. Two words. Movie walking, he's moving. Okay, one word. Yeah. Grapes of breath. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Film. First, yeah. Grapes. The, yeah. First. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right then. And to take us into the spoiler zone, as Andrew frantically works his microphone and leaving the meeting and coming back to the meeting, for myself, I would wholeheartedly recommend it. Um, it is a movie. It's owned by Disney, and it's it was it's no. It's a twentieth century Fox Thanks. movie. It's, as Sorry. such, it is part of the Disney library. It is not available on Disney Plus in any region that I can find, which is insane. Um, it, again, speaks to the weird relationship that Disney have with the back catalogue of material that they bought. God, I hate them so much. That they bought from Fox. It's like, we bought this studio, all of its rich cultural heritage, and really all we want from it is putting Wolverine in a Deadpool movie. And I bet, I bet you can't get a print of it to screen anywhere as well. Yeah, well, that was that was a thing. They they did stop that. Wasn't that a big thing? They like, did, yeah. It was a big thing in the States. Like, mm, huge thing. And, and also over here as well, I believe there are some rights issues related to... Yeah, but I think the, the, pipe, the pipeline was easier in the States, apparently, yeah. for the years. But yeah, 100%. Yeah, um, and again, we'll we'll include links to that in the show notes. There, there and Jay's notes. rant about Disney, we'll include in the show notes as well. Uh, Forty-five minute video. It, it, it's all caps. It's like not admitting children to screenings of the Grapes of it's, Wrath. It is. It's like at one point he rips his T-shirt off. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. And, like, and it's it. just text. It's kind of it's incredible a, that you could get that across. Um, I found but okay. One. With that in mind, we the will say <laughs> we, we, we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Uh, 
and it's Arsenal 2, Bodo Glimt nil. Um, that is not the spoiler zone. No, 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 it's not. Sorry, uh, what happened was my wife rang. Everyone's ringing me. My, my wife. I... My wife. She's <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, she. We she, all say hello to Petrina, to be yeah. clear. Um, my 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 dad rang earlier as well. That's why I had to jump off. Everyone uh, calls me all of a sudden when I'm recording <laughs> a podcast. I never get any calls ever uh, outside of it. Anyway, spoiler zone. So, Aoife, what is the Grapes of Wrath about for you? Um, it's about angry fruit. Um, <laughs> it's it's very much a film about you know the haves and the have-nots. It's a film about poverty. It's a film about it's a film about family. It's a film about a journey, and it's a film about the class system and how you know poor people are just trodden upon you know i mean we talked about it earlier but that the wonderful speech about you know who owns the farm you know and you know, we see that reflected and we see that reflected today in terms of you know the vulture funds buying up properties in this country for example you know so it's in that way in those ways it feels very much like a modern film you know there's so many things that that happen in this film have echoes in what's happening today. We've already mentioned the food banks and the, the cues for food that we see. Um, so it is a very, very polit- political film. And so I think in that respect, it's a very important film, you know. Um, and I take the point that, yes, you know, it's a cynical exercise and that, oh, here's a really, really, you know, important book. Let's make a let's make a film out of this and it'll win Oscars because it'll be an important film, but 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 it really is, you know? And I think it's a film about it's a film about a journey, you know, a journey across America. And um I would have liked to have seen more of America. I agree with Jay in terms of, you know, studio films. I think they can look utterly gorgeous and and this one does look utterly gorgeous, but I would have liked to have seen more location shots on the road, to see more of what America looked like at that time, you know? So, um, but yeah, no, it's I suppose it's a, it's a fun about a journey. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the big kind of arguments about the 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 film or about like the film kind of an adaptation is the idea that Ford is like single-mindedly almost focused on the family where the idea is that like Steinbeck's book is naturally it's a book and so it has these kind of divergence and tangents and becomes these filibuster-esque arguments about what Steinbeck sees being wrong with American society Mm. in all of its multiple forms whereas Grapes of Wrath remains much tighter kind of focused on the family you mentioned the idea of like when they're driving you're always looking through the windscreen at them you're looking at them in the front seat. You're not seeing what they're seeing. You're staring at them as they are traveling. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't see the landscape a lot. And, you know, you know, the opening of the book has, has a great description of, you know, of clouds. And then, and it describes the drought coming and the fact that, you know, it hasn't rained in weeks. And it describes the corn turning brown and withering and dying. I am on the husks, you know, and it's a really, really brilliant opening scene. You don't get a sense of that in, in the film, you know, but when, when we see the film, you know, that has already happened, you know, and 
it can be quite hard to place where we are. You know, obviously, you know, historically, we, we know what happened, you know, in terms of the Great Depression and in terms of, you know, the Dust Bowls and the droughts. But but the film doesn't really do a lot to to place us there, I think. You know, I think that's one of the criticisms I would have about it. I wanted to see more of the of the landscape. Um, and Darren is going to love this, but I got more of... Um, more of that impression from Interstellar, you know, in terms yeah. of the way Nolan the cornfields. For the love of God, Aoife, have you no shame? I had that in my notes, but I thought that would be too cliche for me to hit, so I'm glad there you did, Aoife, but I yeah, second I'm it. Quite, yeah. It is <laughs> so true. I, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, I wanted to see scenes like that, you know, the stuff that Nolan shot for Interstellar, I wanted to see you know, I want to see Tom Joad in space, basically. Well, <laughs> so. Even things like the, the, the cutlery being put upside down so the dust doesn't get into it, the mm. small touches, like having to wear masks outside because the environment's mm. turned against you. Things like that that actually kind of capture the, the experience of the idea that there is a world outside of this family unit. I mean, I guess, okay, fine. What we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to front load Darren makes nonsense complaints about the movie just so we can get it over and done with and talk about how, how great the movie is otherwise. So just one of the the big things about the movie is it changes a lot of the source material. We should be clear here, Steinbeck was actually very impressed with the adaptation. He thought mm. that it was done as well as it could have been done at the time, which I think is fair and reasonable. He endorsed the movie. He really right. liked the movie. So he didn't really have that many complaints. But like people who read the book and kind of came back to it made the observation that like what it does is it smooths down pretty much all of kind of the rough edges where like you have the idea in the book that there's this complicated relationship between say men and women for example and the idea that ownership of like the farms and stuff like that is tied back to things like patriarchal ownership the way in which people talk about like land animals and women the domestic violence at work in the shifting relationship between ma and pa jode for example you know al's tomcatting for example and tom's rebuke of him of it they wouldn't let you know the the rose of sharon's kind of pregnancy um which is just a subplot that is completely dropped from the movie but which ends with a stillbirth at the end yeah, but of we the know movie. why that was dropped though like you know it's quite clear why that was dropped yeah because you're not going to get that in a movie in the 1930s yeah. yeah um but but also also even like the restructuring of the movie so that like in the book the good camp arrives in the middle and it's a false hope so the idea is the joes go and they find the government run camp and things are good for a little while and then they go and they go looking for work and then they end up in the exploitative labor camp and that's the one that you know you know you they end up kind of fleeing from or tom ends up Jeez, kind of that'd be from. desolate though Jeez, then Christ, that's if you that's, did that that's, though that's how the book works where it's like you have a moment of reprieve in the middle and then it's like no it gets so much worse and then just but, fundamentally just switching those two elements changes the entire trajectory i i don't disagree with any any of your things in the context of what you're talking about. I think you're absolutely correct in terms of any kind of complaints about why it doesn't or doesn't work. However, I do think had you it's adaptation, right? So yeah. you include everything or a lot of those stuff that people complain about and then all of a sudden, why did Ford make such a sprawling novel that doesn't really concentrate in anything, doesn't capture the film, doesn't capture the thing. Like he, It's very clear what he's going for. It's a very distilled essence of X. The, and you can agree or disagree with that, I guess, and that's fine. But the movie uh, nobody should be capturing criticisms of the novel, and like every adaptation of a novel 
shears I, I off know, so much, like, and so much for, for obvious reasons. But what you choose to take out is a choice. Like, what you choose to leave in. Of is course a it is, yeah. So, so, but that's, I would agree. But it, but does the film work in its own terms? I think is the argument for mm. any adaptation, and, yeah. and I would argue it does. Whether argue, you could say it doesn't work as well because it does X or Y. That's fair enough. I disagree with you, but I, I understand where you're coming from. But I mean, you have to leave something on the floor, like nothing. You can't, you can't get it all in. The other, the other... I, I'm, not, I'm not coming from this from like the comic book fan of, well, it's not it's not an accurate adaptation. No, of... I know you're not. I would just say, just as a conversational thing, though, I'm saying that like, like these particularly films around kind of areas that generally don't get into films, like, like particularly in that area, I think you're boxed in to a certain degree as to what you can do and what you can't do. And I don't think the film... I don't think the film gets made in the order that you were saying the book has. Yeah. I don't think yet that adaptation gets paid for. And that's, and that's a capitalistic thing. Yeah, yeah, I think especially what you were saying before in the context of... Yeah, in the context of Zanuck, who got it because yes. he wanted awards. He had a shape that yes. he wanted to put on it. And I'm yeah, sure yeah. That, and, and that's... That maybe yeah. maybe there was a conversation between him and him forward, <laughs> forward saying, I want to do it this way. And him's like, well, no, you can't have the money there. I'm not sure I'd want to see it the other way either. Because the other way is it, it's at least... Like, you know exactly... like. We all we've seen like New Hollywood gave us a million variations of that that version of the film, which is grand and it's impressive and and they're as quote unquote important as the nineteen forties films in terms of how they're revered in a lot of ways, um by modern day kind of film critics and whatever like and Paul and Keel, all the rest of it who will kind of eulogise at the Brian De Palma, the Scorsese altar and and rightly so to a large degree I'm not arguing that but I'm saying that like. Some films are that and some films aren't that. And I don't think you pull away from one to make one better or whatever. I think I think it's a nineteen forty film that does as a good a job as you could really expect it to do yeah, but... given the parameters of the studio, the society war the whole thing i to, think it's incredible work in that regard to, to, i think it's kind of work in and of itself to take to take, to take darren's side for a moment i think that's that's incorrect jay i think um, dark movies are good and, and okay, <laughs> okay. And, and are mature serious, and adult or whatever adults, yeah. uh, dark yeah. movies are the ones I, that I did are just, good hold on hold on hold on hold on did, <laughs> Sorry, did, I not, did, I, did I not literally just begin this podcast by saying The Wizard of Oz is a masterpiece I'm joking um, I'm kidding like, the 4k copy of that is I'm, amazing before. I'm just straw manning you um, <laughs> but, you're gaslighting but, me never even said that my, okay hashtag um, um, something. Anyway, my, my my point is, and I, I think you're entirely right. And uh, to be honest, this is more of a general thing where it's no. Like, I, I wasn't um, saying you were explicitly there. I know you were talking yeah. about re- uh, reaction to it. Yeah, but my 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 yeah. This is very much like this is why maybe I don't connect 1940s cinema in the way that I do to like 1920s or even early 1930s cinema or you know the foreign films from the 1950s or american films after the end of the production code like i think the the great this is the only way that this movie could have ever been released in 1940 yeah uh it is as good as this movie could be in 1940 perhaps there is no way that a straighter adaptation of steinbeck's novel where a woman has a stillbirth and then symbolically lets a farmer feed on her breast milk uh, because that's the only sustenance that he will receive there is no way that that, that was ever going to now. <laughs> Never mind in 1940. Like, you wouldn't get that into a film now, I'd say, with a budget. Like, you you wouldn't get it into a major studio film. You'd have no. to go to one of the small yeah, movies and, yeah. and maybe sell or, it to a streaming Like a service. Darren Aronofsky movie, maybe. You wouldn't win Best Picture. Yeah. 
And they wouldn't win <laughs> Best Picture. That, that, that's a very good point. Now, this didn't win Best Picture either, to be fair, but it did win Best Director. Lars von Trier's Grapes of Wrath. It's a better film than Rebecca. I'm just going to put that out there. Nice. Well, well done, Jay. Nice. Good Oscar trivia. I appreciate it. All right. So, Ronan, what about you? I love Rebecca, by the way, just to, <laughs> just, just to be clear. Just in case but, I'm, not, I'm not trashing it. I think that this is a better film. All right. Um, well, we may be talking about that next summer, perhaps. Um, but, Ronan, what about yourself? What, what, what is your big takeaway from The Grapes of Wrath? If you were to kind of like summarize it, what is it about for you? What's your kind of... I think for me, one of the things that stands out um, that's really interesting about it is that it kind of feels like a film about broken promises. Um, you know, what I was saying before about um, the idea of progress and the growth of the nation and, you know, moving on up as you, that, that, that progress that the road represents in a road movie. Um, you're dealing with people who haven't got that and they've been promised it for a very long time. That, you know, the great, the great hope of America was finding the promised land almost. And that's that's not how it's happened. And I think to, to kind of take it back to what Eve said before about the landscapes, I almost think continuously framing them within the car really helps that because no matter where they go, the picture is always the same. Um, you know, they don't reach a new land where there are these kind of amazing newfound freedoms and they're always hemmed in in that way. And the, the way the framing works, um, I think, does something really interesting with that. I think as well the point you made before, Darren, about um, the kind of uh, the studio set aspect of it, that what stands out to me about that scene in particular is that that is all a recollection that is told to Tom Joad. And if you look at the the scene, the shots themselves where he is told that it's it's really bleak and dark and sort of out of character for the American movies of the time. Um, you know, it's completely shadow cloaked. It's almost um, like you'd get in film noir a couple of years later. And those close-ups um, of Henry Fonda that was half his face is gone literally in shadow. Yeah. Oh, in, sh- yeah, in the basement, yeah, those yeah. sequences. It's this thinking back to the world that was destroyed in an almost kind of comical way as the house falls down, but he's he's in this position of, oh my God, they, they took it from us, that kind of thing. Um, they had their little their little sharecropping life, uh, and that was taken away, and it was sort of taken away in a very offhand way of just, oh, well, sorry. Um, by Again, like used, mechanized who used sisters, to do the same yeah. thing. Yeah, exactly. Like the um, idea that they're caterpillars. They're like they're they're these trucks, and they're shot where the guys on them are wearing masks, so they don't appear human. The angles yeah. on them make it seem as if they're not being driven by people. They're just systems, as Andrew said, as Jay said. Yeah, guy so, arrives and, and he makes and, a really good argument. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's like, like so, if you shoot me, you're just gonna they're gonna they'll hang you, and then somebody will be doing my job make for any difference. Someone mark. else will come along, yeah. and but I think that. See, I think. I think that's nihilistic as hell as well. Like he's incredibly calm about it. He's like, I'm just going to get on with my day's work. Yeah, like that—that's grimness to me. It's just not grimness in the way that a 1970s film would be grim. But I think it's—it's it's extremely downbeat as a worldview. Yeah, I, as could be. I yeah, I I I agree with that. I I I think the 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 kind of inevitability of it is 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 the you know there 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 is no escaping this it's like you know it's 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 uh, it's globalization i think there's a whole the whole crux of that exchange is what what's the point in fighting yeah it's, it's yeah. all gonna work out the same anyway <laughs> yeah. even speaking to what Rodham's saying like that there's a point where they get when they cross the california border and they stop to have a look and it's like and they're not impressed and it's like oh well we haven't got to the real california it's like kind of like you know i'm gonna see the real yeah. nice picture around the corner like and it's like there's no real beautiful california for these people because there's nothing for these people. 
in the way that you'll see migrants from Mexico in America much, much later on and so on. Like it's there be below human level to people, to a certain amount of people. It's a really interesting kind of classic trope of the road movie that I think this codifies really well of that the road never ends. You know, you get somewhere and you go, oh, and you want to go a little bit further and it just kind of continues like that. There's no salvation at the end. Um, so I do agree with Jay that it is it, it is quite bleak in that respect a lot of the time. I do think it, it softens the edges of that towards the end, but there are a lot of stops along this particular road that just wind you. And 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 I think it, it doesn't... Uh, in spite of the fact that they reach the kind of government camp towards the end, it's not... They don't reach... They don't arrive at the government camp at the end. At the end, they're going off to be exploited again. Yeah, by, most likely. Like, uh, by most likely, yes. spurious yeah. huckster. Yeah. So, um, they, like, it, it's, um, it, it's, it's not, it's not a hopeful ending. It, it might, it might have that um, uh, towards the end. I think I. I, uh, I think it's it, a determined ending, Andrew. I don't think it's a hopeful. I think you're correct. I think yeah. it's a fight. You fight on because Tom Jones gone off to die. We most are the likely people. by a police hand that's somewhere in some protest somewhere mm. and the family are going off to a massively uncertain but determined future hopefully yeah and, it, and, and i think that's about kind of it's still they're trying to get a kind of a raise the crowd kind of thing so if enough of us come fighting we might get somewhere but mm. there's no certainty of that by any means yeah i don't i don't know though like i mean I, part of me is like but then that the, they'll just end up back at the government camp. It'll be rough, but they'll end up back at the government camp, and then they'll like it doesn't feel well, like, it's like they might not get out where get out from where they are, like where no. they're going. Like, they're, they're being, I, like I know, I know, just... but but the structuring of the movie though, where it's like if that comes earlier, and then it's just exploitation, exploitation, exploitation. I have no idea. Oh, okay, okay, okay. How like, many nineteen forty film? Like, oh, okay, gonna, okay. How many of them? That, like. How many of them will get back as well? Like, because you're dropping yeah. like flies. Like, we have, how many <laughs> like, did he lose on the road? Anyway, well, they, like. they certainly lose Noah along the way. I think he very famously disappears in the edit with absolutely no explanation whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, J- Jay, do you want me to really lay a depressing? thing that i found during research uh you. you know i love darren's the depressing thing darren. what what do you got um i said Dar- darren's gonna darren yeah i'm gonna darren i'm gonna i'm gonna ruin this movie for you i'm not gonna ruin this movie for you um but you basically you couldn't could he could he it's a he challenge could. so you know how this is the story of the oklahoma migrants moving west into yes, california yes. and kind of looking for work and oh i think i already know what this is i've seen you tweet during the week you weirdo hang on let me yeah. want to hear this on, let me let me let me hear this Okay, well, let me actually hear this argument articulated. So the Okies did eventually settle in certain areas of California. Um, Those areas of California are the only parts of the state that are Republican. Uh, Those areas... Orange County? uh, Yes, that sort of area down the valleys, yeah. So it's like, but they are, basically they're the staunch Republican strongholds in California. Those are the Republican strongholds that produced during the 90s a lot of the anti-immigration sentiment that produced people like Stephen Miller that are the brains and the driving force behind what we now describe as Trumpism. So those westward-pushing migrants uh, do you know what, in though? this movie that we're watching... I read a segment of the- what you're talking about uh, in terms of... Because they, they, some of them got on... I think Ebert mentioned this about the kind of... Some of them got on well in the kind of war economy and then post-war economy yes, uh, that's within exactly. that area, right? So yeah. all, all you're really talking about is uh-huh. boomers again, as per uh-huh. ruining everything for everyone as they always do, because they're the worst generation that has ever lived. 
So yeah, uh, I, I'm not surprised by any of that. Like the plus, it's very reductionist to say like uh, some some of them became Republicans. It's like, yeah, when they got I'm to that age, I'm surprised any of them didn't no, become no, Republicans. Oh, to be honest, oh, like. Oh. Oh, okay, but I'm more looking at the demographics, where they settled, what that community became, how that community ah, changed, listen. what that community like, produced. And what the- at the end of the day, they're Americans. Americans are idiots and will vote for Republicans. Oh, 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 like, okay. You know what I mean? Like, it's, If you vote for Republicans, you're a moron. Like, Look what they do, and Tories or whatever. Like, I mean, Jesus okay. Christ. It I doesn't just, ruin the movie for me, but okay, I appreciate I just, the effort. I, th- th- thank you, Jay. That was clearly what I was attempting to do. I was you more just... No, <laughs> no, I know, I know. I, 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 I understand her. But I was more, yes, finally. You, you poked a bear, Darren. I did, and I got, what, a beard, I guess. <laughs> Pawed. Um, Pawed. Um, but I guess, like, the, the point I'm more making is the observation that you have this idea. And again, it's a really bitter, ironic kind of twist on this, where you have this group who were migrants themselves, who arrived through California, were treated as outsiders, as aliens, as, like, lower than dirt. Um, like, there's a point where the two attendants are looking out and they're like, they're not yeah. human, basically. They're horrible. Uh, they're, yeah. But, but, you're, um, they, but like, sorry. you end up with that being a community that ends up reinforcing and really pushing in California, in particular in the 90s, this line against, this yeah. hard line against migrants. I'm not surprised by it, though. I'm not at all. And funny enough, you could extend that in the kind of Ford context is kind of Irish-Americanism and how he views uh, that kind of romanticized view of Irish-Americans and how they came to the country and blah, blah, blah. And then you look at the actual Irish-Americanisms of horrid, horrid racism in America. Like, yeah. Uh, well, so I'm not surprised by any of those kind of... Because people will step down on the boot on somebody else if they think it raises them up a level. Staggering, yeah. tragically, they will. Because that's what... It's a human nature thing to a certain degree, I think. Which well, is brutal, but... A lot, a lot. I, don't think, I don't think Henry Ford will aim at the Irish in that way, but he would certainly understand the Oklahoma-California thing, I suspect. Well, a, a lot of kind of, yeah, Irish-American kind of um, myth-making is, 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 is... Well, Ford himself wasn't, wasn't Irish-American, yeah, yeah. Oh, 100%. Ford, yeah, a huge, a huge is, is, um Is very sentimental. Yeah, it's stuff that was never, that doesn't actually relate to to Ireland um at all like like in 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 the sense of that it's an imagination. Oh, i still like it though haven't said that um, like i have a very soft spot for quiet man and what's the one ronan with the three stories the informer the oh sorry no no what's the one you know no, the one um the raising of the moon yeah it was just a three story set in ireland which is a cracking fantastic tale like it, it's great fun tyrone power and various others of it it's great written, written by uh lady gregory among others yes uh, so Ford, but Ford is as guilty of those kind of uh, romantic ideals of people as the next person, and ignoring and excusing the the behaviours that go outside of that. Which I suspect are in that regard, you're you're absolutely correct. Like in terms of people will get on eventually, and they're so grateful to get on stamp on the neck of the next people that come along to try to do the same thing. Yeah, that's but it. I, I like think that's, that's. I think I think you could pre-Trump that though. That, that's just Republicans. Oh no, no, no. I'm uh, yeah, yeah, no. I'm uh, yeah. okay. Well, not just Republicans. Yeah, I know. I understand. The, I knew the you, yeah. irony of the, yes. this sort of churn. Oh, man, that's, again, a, that's a, the standard kind of circle of life in America. In a lot of ways, I think it depends on what country and demographic you can kind of phase out and which generation you talk about it on. I think you can probably pull it back as well to to something you mentioned before, Darren. The the idea of the New Deal and these are the people really who were failed by that. So that was a kind of flagship democratic policy. Why wouldn't yeah. those people and their ancestors go on to distrust the Democrats and you know for that to go down the ages? You know, I don't think you can necessarily draw a through line, but it's 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 an interesting element of it. And 
you know, this is the very end of the New Deal period, and these people haven't haven't got anything out of it. So I I wouldn't blame them for turning their backs on that party, whether that lasts for eighty years. I don't. Um, in terms of of just other stuff that we want to talk about, is it worth noting uh, the presentation of kind of women uh, in this, in particular, Maul Jode, Joan Canswell, I think, or Joan somebody or other. Jane Dornell. Jane Okay, why do I have right. name? That's close. Okay, sorry. Oh, Doris Bad and somebody else. But yes, um, but yes, she she won the Oscar for playing Maul Jode in this. And again, Jode is Maul is presented as kind of like this stoic kind of figure, where you have this idea that you know she was inspired by Steinbeck's own fierce mother, Olive Steinbeck, who you know sold more World War One bonds in the in Solanus than any other woman, for example. Or there's you know the presentation of like Steinbeck's wife Carol, who willed the Grapes of Wrath into being, uh, as the dedication in part reads as well, where she kind of like nurtured the book's partisan fever. She urged him to write a novel after his like 1936 journalist series, The Harvest Gypsies, was published in the San Francisco News. You know she. Was the one who typed and corrected the manuscript, and whose presence was indispensable as he wrote the book in 100 working days as well. And it was like Carol Steinbeck who came up with the name of the book from the opening line of the Battle Hymn of the Republic as well. Um, so it is kind of it's kind of interesting to look at that and kind of see, you know, the presentation of of Maul because in some ways she has the big she gets the two big speeches at the end or the big speech at the end that is the yeah. concatenation of two speeches from the books where she makes this argument about like life and she kind of gives what is you know arguably along with Tom Jode's big I'll be there speech the thesis statement of the movie it's kind of interesting what do we make of of kind of Maul Jode the presentation I I, I weirdly like her like I I think it's a it's a hard role to play it's it, it very much fits in with the the Ford modeling women characters that he's he's had in films but i think she's she kind of cuts through that i think she's very good doing that role that the role in and of itself is not a huge one like it's not something you could do a lot with but she i think she does a lot with it i like the speech at the end i like her interaction with tom joe at the end before he goes off like i find i found all that very very moving but then i'm a sucker for that kind of uh thing as i've got older as i realized like i'd be bawling my eyes out of this stuff like because <laughs> you know decency and kind of genuine kind of stuff really moves me and i think it works i it, it's a bit grandstanding sure but you know it is a central thesis as you pointed out but i think i think she's great in it and i think i from what i'm reading of it it's an elevated part to a certain degree compared to the book like it's more yeah. forward than uh steinbeck Yes, yeah. Well, she she's more front. Yeah, she gets more emphasis. She was kind of she was not a victim of kind of the trimming and the cutting as well. And apparently, she was only kind of given the role at the insistence of Henry Fonda as well. She worked with Fonda a couple of times. I think she jokes that when she and Fonda kind of, or she joked that when she and Fonda met in later life, he used to just call her Ma uh, because oh, they worked stop. together. They, I know. Sorry, Jay. I'm getting you all sentimental, but they'd worked together um so much that they kind of had that kind of relationship but no i was just going to say i love that muley and grandpa were right and that it was something that they couldn't articulate you know that they're like no we I, we can't leave you know there there there's just something tells me that i can't go um i know i'm being told that there's all of this promise elsewhere but I, I i i i can't leave this spot and and it's 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 that they've almost kind of read the tea leaves or that they they, they 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 um that there's some kind of omen that they can't put their finger on i like that sort of aspect of it 
yeah. there's a mystical kind of element to mm. it. But there is, yeah. it, again, it, it's very romantic, that connection to the dirt and to the land. And that's like, very forty. You see that in Quiet Man, even, like, uh, that kind of stuff. Well, again, like, not to not to kind of be reductionist or anything like that, it's a very immigrant kind of thing. It's the idea yeah, of is, yeah. having, ha- having a place and belonging to a place. And a connection. Rooting to that place. I mean, you have that wonderful speech that the, the neighbor gives where he's like, you know, we were born on this land. Many of us died on this land. That's what makes it our land. Um, and then the idea of... Gonna, That's Muley, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that is. It's uh, John Quaylen's uh, Muley Grey. He's great. Uh, he's terrific in a little small role. He's, he's really, very, really good. Very good. A deep bench of forward character actors kind of thing, doing doing everything proud. Like, that. they're so good. Like, it's like a troop. I loved uh, John Carradine, too. Oh, God bless him. That's fantastic. That's a preacher, that, that, fallen preacher. That character, Casey, was just incredible. Yeah, he's um, great. The preacher with the initials JC who literally dies for our sins. Um, and, I, I love um, when he gets arrested like and he puts his hands out for the handcuffs because like, he's already got to put handcuffs on <laughs> how how does he die uh, Darren head trauma uh, Robocop <laughs> reference <laughs> <laughs> um, but again like it's interesting that that ties back to the argument I think like Jay and, and Andrew both made about the movie to give it the, the credit it's about like institutions failing people perhaps where like he leaves the church because he's too human now to be fair uh, a lot of that stuff reads a bit uncomfortably now. Where he's like, "It's just women. I loved women too much. That was my problem." Yeah, um, a bit of a conversation with Tom, and Tom kind of leans into that. As well. I was like, "Lads, you know, <laughs> it's forty. It's fine." Jeez. No, I know, I know. It's it's yeah. not quite like New Hollywood levels. No, it's, like, not. It's, it's, it's not. It's, it's not. It's not quite like girls. Girls are what I like. No, it's I like, uh, I like the chicks. The, the, the car, right? Yeah, that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah no, he he said I I I think the conversation is that he he would go to women in his pastoral capacity, and then that he would fall in love with them. Yes, and that yes, it just no. happened. Who's among us, Andrew? But again, it it gets at that idea of there being a human connection. No, I, it doesn't. It doesn't come across especially lascivious, does it? Like, uh, a little bit. I, I mean, the fact that there are multiples of them, like the yeah. fact that it's a plural thing, and the and again, just well, in, part of it's the history of priests and stuff like that. Where and he's like, a twinkle in his eye as well, in that in that kind of way, like. When, when you hear that it. a priest is no longer a priest because he had an emotional attachment to some of his parishioners, like repeatedly, there's there's connotations that are like not in nineteen, maybe not in nineteen. They were probably unintended by Ford. I would yes, say. Yes, I don't right. imagine Ford. No, like, I don't I, think he was making a comment on it. My, my, like I think the movie is very much on his side. Maybe I think the movie yeah, is yeah, on twenty twenty two eyes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. No, yeah. I think I think the movie is very much on his side, and the argument is that it's he's too human for this system. It's again, it's it's this idea of systems and how systems you know, corrupt and strip out humanity, how they take away what makes us people. Again, that rugged American individualism thing where the big fear is that you're going to end up taking away something that makes a person like what they are inside. And so that's why you, you're you afraid of big government. That's why you're afraid of big business. and all. We should all be all afraid of big government like, and um, big business. But, but like the idea that, yeah, he's just, he's got too much love to serve the church, but he is in some ways the most spiritual, religious you know, moral person in this movie, despite the fact that he is not no longer part of the but church, it's, which is it's because it's because he's lost, I guess. But he's lost and he's searching. He he is he has realized that he knows nothing. He says he 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 does soon go one way as the other, but he doesn't have anything to lose, so he's able to confront things that are wrong. Yeah, yeah, and to actually take a stand on these things as well. Yeah. Like he's he's very much the film's conscience. He's the one who's kind of pushing. Uh, in that direction as you know obviously standing up to the police officers and stuff like that as well but like again it, it's 
I think it's it's very interesting and very much speaks to what the film is about, that he he fills that capacity without being uh, in the church, which is perhaps something mm. of a bold statement to make in the context of American cinema in the 1940s. And, and in where you spite, have things like the Catholic Decency League and all that. Yeah, yeah. And in spite of being a priest in the in the kind of language of the movie, because they say, um, sure, he was a preacher, but he also knew what he was talking about is kind of like, um, <laughs> yeah, yes, he may have been a preacher, but he had some wise words to say is almost the, the point that it makes. I, I think weirdly in America as well that a preacher, the connotation of preacher sounds like you're kind of semi-professional in the mm. way that priest is a, a professional, if you know what I mean, like that. People just wander in and become preachers because they're spoofing it. Like, you know how many films yeah. you've seen? You know, guys, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, I just took a break from being a preacher because, you know, uh, I don't think uh, preachers in America. Or, you, yeah, it's you like... Could be, like oh, I could, could do it next week if I'm stuck and just <laughs> bamboozle a crowd of people in the corner. Like, it's like intrude. It's an interesting one. In intrude detective, we have the, the 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 preacher that you kind of come back to in like 2014 or whatever, and he's no longer preaching. He's just like this alcoholic. Oh, it's Shea Wiggum, isn't it? I think so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Great actor. Even the way Clint Eastwood plays with that character in Pale Rider. Oh, yes, preacher, but he's actually yeah. this merchant of, the, of vision. <laughs> um, so yeah, the love Russell Crowe in uh, the Quick and the Dead. Um, but yeah, um, in terms of Grapes of Wrath, is there anything else you want to talk about? So Aoife, Ronan in particular, anything that we haven't talked about, anything jumping out at you guys that you want to discuss with regards to the movie? Uh, no, I'm trying. No, not really. No, to be honest. All right then, Jay. Anything that we haven't talked about in jumping out at you? I have a couple of things. Uh, one, there's, a, there's this shot that hasn't come up, and it's, it was kind of like an incidental one, but I, I was really struck by it today. Um, there's a massive wide shot when they're about to cross the bridge into into California, I think it is, and the, the car van thing almost topples. It goes up, like they go mm. to go forward, and the wheels come up off the road, and there's a kind of 80 or scream from everyone in it. And then it lands back, and it's it's almost dreadful. Like they're almost the whole thing that kills all of it's like it's just treated as just a, a random little thing there, and then it lands back down and just goes back off. Like I was like, Jesus Christ! I was full attention for about four seconds. Like, uh, is this where it ends? And I didn't notice. Like, I was like, genuinely stunned. John, John Ford sitting there going, you know, in, in about what? 80 John Ford years. Speed Three. Yeah, in, in eighty years, some kid named Darren Moody is going to go. Now that's a picture. Um, That's it, yeah, exactly. Lock it. It's done. It's, it's finished. It's a bit with a speed bump, isn't there? A bit with a speed bump. Um, Where they're coming into the camp. Yeah, yeah, into the camp. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that's Nobody another thing as well. The exactly. First that. movie ever to have to show a speed bump, you know? So, <laughs> surprised to see that in a movie. And, and presented as unironically, like, heroic. Um, and again, part of me is like. Willem Dafoe comes out of the house. He's <laughs> <laughs> like wild eyes. Yeah. Um, sorry. Well, I mean, the, the guy running the government camp, like, and again, part of me is like, is it just because he's a guy from the 40s who is like in his 50s or 60s? He's like a government Colonel Sanders. He's uh, like in his in his white suit and <laughs> <laughs> his benevolence towards all people and uh, except for chickens. Yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> sorry. I don't know if you watch The Walking Dead where David Morrissey is the kind of guy that takes people the in. The governor, isn't it? Yeah, the, go- the governor. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's essentially that. For all that's more percent, that but, nice but guy. But unironically, yeah. No, it is. But like you know, in another in another decade, that would be the guy that'll huh? all up. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, but now with the forties, there is a kind of a uh, kind of nice version of this kind of he, thing. He reminded me of um, Charles Durning in Oh Brother Where Art Thou? You know, Papio Daniel. Or... Uh, you know, I love him. 
He's great, Matt Durden's great. <laughs> yeah. Pass the biscuits. And uh, I love that he is constantly smoking, even at social functions, which some might argue is inappropriate, perhaps. Yeah, there, um, there is smoking in a gas station. Which is orange vodka frappuccino territory. <laughs> Petrol <laughs> fight. Oh. <laughs> it's a Terrence Malick's favorite film, which was always astounding. Zoolander. Yeah, 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 he loves it. He's right, though. It's great. When, he, when he's trying to escape um, the, um, the work camp... Um, at night, he's like smoking a cigarette. <laughs> First thing you do is like stop smoking that cigarette. <laughs> if you, if you <laughs> um, people will see you in the dark smoking a cigarette. Um, so there, there's that. In terms of food waste, um, this is the nonsense that we go over every single week. There could be much food waste in this. There, like, there, um, there's barely any food. There, there is. There is. There, there's, there's all that slap on Grandpa's chin. If um if he was still around when all those hung- <laughs> if- <laughs> Jeez, you really have to find this Andrew. <laughs> if 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 he was still around when all those hungry children came, they could have just like taken their like flat stick to his face and, <laughs> and got some good perfect. good eating out of it. Um yeah. We should also acknowledge that again, one of the interesting things about the film is the way in which it kind of blurs the boundary. I think Ronan kind of alluded to this, where it kind of blurs the boundary between documentary and kind of fantasy where a lot of the presentation of things in the movie is again very photorealistic very like the depictions of the camps for example as well very photorealistic part of that is down to Zanuck like sending researchers um to make sure that nobody could pick at the film theoretically uh or see it as unfair or unreasonable its depiction but it also drew from like a series of documentary photographs like let us now praise famous men um that it collected many of the photographs that were used uh, for this as well, uh, which I find kind of interesting. Um, but they ended up kind of full. Oh no, sorry, sorry, I beg your pardon. Um, I, 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 I beg your pardon. I thought you were finished. I was just going to give some love to um, the way they just dispatched those um, <laughs> troublemakers. Oh, at the, the party, the camp. What happens to them? <laughs> you know, they're all killed. They all have their throats slit. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just... there is a moment where he's like, "Make sure you don't bruise them anywhere anybody will see." And it's like, um, is he talking about like bruising them below the neck or like out back in the woods? Just, like when he like, says where people can't see, is he talking about on their bodies or geographically? <laughs> I, I read geographically, but I take the point. <laughs> It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando. Is like that and puts them in a seat and like. Well, there's a link I wasn't expecting. Don't yeah. don't wake my friend. He's dead tired. Um, <laughs> God, I love Commando so much. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Why wasn't I invited on for Commando? Have you done Commando yet? We invited you on for this. You loved this. What? <laughs> This you, is you, it. All right. You all may right. be surprised to hear the commando is not on the top two hundred and fifty. Get up voting. Yeah, it must be. It might, well, if it ever comes up somewhere along the line, the bottom one hundred ever, give me a shout. Could just do an a, an Arnold Schwarzenegger season. <laughs> yes, we could. Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger. I guess no. We'll, we'll work. We'll Perfect. Work no, we'll first, work first top, best top. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, all right, and and then also just because I kind of love this, it's worth noting that the. 
Steinbeck had a bee in his bonnet about the presentation, as as we mentioned, Solanus, uh, where his first novel was in Dubious Battle, uh, which is about the a failed strike by migrant farm workers in Solanus. But his second novel about the plight of migrants, a vicious attack on growers, was titled, and I quote, Le Fair Lettuceburg, a bitter, mean, angry, and so unsatisfying book to him that he burnt the manuscript. He later described it as a mean and nasty book. And part of me is like, you can't give a book the title Le Fair Lettuceburg and not publish it. it you'd feels love like that, Aaron. Just... You would look just for the title alone and you'd be all yeah. over that. Yeah. Last, very last thing. Just the very last thing. I'm a, I'm a huge Henry Fonda fan and he makes acting look effortless, I think. He looks like he's barely trying half time. And this is mm. perhaps his best forms are right up there as good as he's ever been. I think he's tremendous. And every time the camera's on him, Told and lights him incredibly. Uh, his face is, and he, he like he, he says so much with his look, regardless of the script. Like uh, I think, I think he's tremendous, man. Absolutely tremendous. I do think it, it's interesting that, like, apparently there was a bit of argument about that role. I think Tyrone Power was suggested at one point. Uh, well, again, another one of the the four the actors that it's used. Like, so I wouldn't be surprised, but I thought Fonda was incredible. And I think he'd used Fonda in the previous film that year as well, or the year before. Uh, oh no! Apparently, it was it was Zanuck. Zanuck had basically discovered that Fonda was desperate for the role, so he leaked that he was going to offer the role to Tyrone Power. Ah. And when Fonda pleaded with Zanuck for the part, Zanuck made him sign an eight-picture deal with Twentieth Century Classic Fox. Studio. Work. Like, that's <laughs> that some really... that's some classic evil. <laughs> like I love it. That is like so pointlessly. That's a good old day. That is like, so pointlessly like, snickle. I'm so like, sick of actors. I'd nearly bring it back. You know that, like make them and do dog genre films and stuff for eight, ten Jay, pictures of five year deals they, and shit. They do that. For, they do that for Marvel. Like Tom Cruise slumming it and crap indies like and stuff. I want to see that. I, I'm about to say, have you? Have you? Is that not how Marvel film contracts work? Where like you know, no, that's you know, no, that's just superhero films. They're not films. They're just whatever <laughs> okay, they are. Okay. Easy, Marty. Easy. Mar- I mean, I mean, real films. Easy there, Mister Scorsese. Calm yourself down. Mister Scorsese <laughs> will see you now. <laughs> yeah, you're getting you're getting very close to um, who was it? What was the? I can't remember who it was. It was probably David O. Russell, who obviously has much bigger scale. Please don't compare me to David O. Russell for many many reasons. Please, we will include in the show notes. But it's the bit where it's he's talking about Jennifer Lawrence. And it's like, you know, I saw that new movie, 12 Years a Slave. I mean, well, have you seen Jennifer Lawrence's contracts to the Hunger Games and X-Men? That's 12 Years a Slave. And I'm like, that isn't even like the fifth most inappropriate. He is truly the worst person, isn't he? Yeah, that isn't even the fifth most inappropriate thing. Yeah, He's this is the worst person and a uh. filmmaker to do. Oh, OK. Oh. I like Three Kings. Uh, That's him, right? Yeah, that's a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> I like th- I like Three Kings. I also have a soft spot for Silver Linings Playbook as well. Oh, I, 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 really? Art, I, I, art, and artist. Almost like mm. I heard Huckabee's because of how indulgent it was. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, we all love Joy, though, right? <laughs> what silence? What <laughs> Joy? Nobody. No, I, 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 I maintain nobody has seen that film. I have seen I've it. I've never met uh, anybody that's seen Joy. I have seen Joy. Have you? No, you haven't. No, you yes, haven't. I, I, I'm, with, I'm around on this. I don't think you have. Uh, there. No, you I, mean you fact. mean Silver Linings pay, uh, Playbook. Uh, Bradley Cooper sells of... A... Yeah, that, that's uh, Bradley Cooper. Uh, that's Silver Silver Linings Playbook. 
Yeah, but Bradley Bradley Cooper plays a vacuum salesman, if I remember correctly. Enjoy, I really right? thought you were going to just leave it at vacuum there for a minute. <laughs> plays vacuum. Vacuum plays a vacuum. Bravo, bravo. I mean, and, and I mean, obviously, it had Robert De Niro in it, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> I've mean, never seen it. I never will. No, I I would not recommend it. It's it's not an American classic. Un- he's he's a bad bad man, David. <laughs> Not going to disagree with that statement. Um, Again, we'll put details in the show notes. All right, then. If there's nothing else we talk about, so Ronan, Aoife, Jay, Andrew, anything you want to talk about and we haven't discussed already? No, I think I'm okay. Anyway, I've I've said my piece. The count, you know, just, it struck me when watching it that, you know, you know, the bit where they're in the, in the, um, the farm camp. Um, So it's very much like a, almost like a, a prisoner of war movie at times. So, you have, you know, the, the various blocks. You've got the guards around the perimeter. And yeah. you have, you know, Henry Fonda hiding in the truck, the way, you know, almost sort of Steve McQueen-like, you know, mm, that, was, that yeah. was interesting. And the bit where they do the kind of decoy, it's like, oh, you mean that short guy, right? Yeah. The guy who gave yeah. <laughs> uh, which is quite nice as well. What's he look like? Yeah, short, short. Not at all like Henry Fonda. kind of fella. Yeah, it doesn't look like a movie star. It certainly doesn't look like a movie star. Um I did, like again, Fonda's you know kind of funny looking. <laughs> it's like the Great Escape in that like they they do get out and then they also like still mostly die. <laughs> spoiler spoiler uh, for all movies, um, yeah. And yeah, just in terms of other stuff, like I I quite like the opening scene with Fonda and the truck driver as well. And I think that like Fonda's... Me too. Fonda is a, a, as you said, he makes acting look easy. He's a very old fashioned movie star, but he's also like not to jump too far ahead into like Once Upon a Time in the West, but there is something vaguely m- not menacing, isn't quite the right. Oh, there word. is. I, I think menacing is yeah, not far off. Okay. Sure. I, think, I know exactly where you're coming from. The bit where he's like, I'm not a guy to let a fella down. I murdered somebody. Just so we're clear. Yeah. There's, a, there's a kind of a striking kind of. Uh, you know what I mean? He's, he's awkward. Yeah. He's, he's aggressively normal in that kind of way he's, he's like he he makes you nervous yeah he's a proper spiky bastard like yeah yeah, uh, sure. that's yeah. perfect that's, that's better than my description yeah bang on <laughs> all right then so what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something something they're enjoying at the moment it can be something related to the movie something unrelated to the movie just something that brings you joy in these troubled times um, and we are releasing this this is going almost straight farm to table this will be releasing this saturday so to give Jay, Ronan, and Aoife a chance to think about it. I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Um, I'll I'll mention a couple of things that maybe obliquely might uh, relate to the movie, but just things that I've been that I've been reading lately. I finished uh, 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 Sapiens. It's Yuval Noah Harari, and I I wasn't enjoying it at the beginning. There were kind of things that like. You know, with a lot of popular nonfiction, you sense that they're picking the kind of examples that support their argument. But I thought the second half of the the book was very good in terms of talking about how us as a species are are living in a in a different way to which we have had been conditioned. Um, to live and the way the way other kind of like primates have been conditioned to live in these very kind of close communities like we see in this movie um how the 20th century kind of like in the 
uh, in the name of progress that 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 a lot of that kind of um, tradition those traditional types of connections have been lost um and it's questioning the kind of value of those things of 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 those shifts now personally i'm i'm i i i i i i think there is a lot to be said for the kind of tribes that people make in the in the in the 21st century but it also cuts all sorts of ways and 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 most of them aren't um aren't aren't good so it's it's a it's a it's an interesting book it basically tells the story of the human race um if if um if if people want to know what it's about the other one was uh mikhail bulgakov's the master and a margarita i enjoyed it a lot i had had kind of mixed reviews i had been given this book um i think five years ago and i hadn't read it and i just did it the um a friend of mine was telling me that he was reading it um and uh, uh, actually a, f- a, f- a friend of the podcast andy oh, andy Mellish. um uh Mellish had been reading it so I, I i i read it when i when i was when i was over in england and again it's a kind of a book about uh, progress or somebody's kind of vision of progress and how that actually kind of looks when it when's it when it comes up against um, human beings in this case, kind of in in in, in communist Russia, the 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 it, it, I I I think it has a more religious kind of a message. At least that's what I took from it. Not 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 necessarily a re- religious in the sense of promoting religion, but just asking the question: when you uh, when you eliminate uh, religion, you know, in a in a country, what do you replace it with? Be, be, because you've created a socialist utopia have have you have have you also like um say abolish greed or does that thing does 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 does, does that do all those vices still exist but without kind of a a, a, a moral uh system to replace the the, uh, the 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 moral system that you've done away with i guess to to, to be very long-winded I, I, and I and I guess I should stop there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I I was going to say if this was coming around Christmas, um, I suppose you don't have to wait till Christmas. That is the time a lot of people do it. But that there are a lot of good um, charities. There's the Simon Community. There's um, uh, well, people have their own opinions about charities. Like I could say Saint Vincent de Paul, but I know some people won't give to Saint Vincent de Paul for for. For, for 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 various reasons I still do um I think if if you're if you're giving some um money or volunteering even or or, or um, that sort of thing I need to get back into that um and and this movie kind of reminded me that there are all these unfortunate people in the world um that could use a hand um and uh, I'm a very lucky person um so yeah the, the, the yeah. All right then, Jay. What would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? Um, that's a very creepy couple of things. Uh, I am on a I'm on a Twin Peaks rewatch kick at the moment. I'm a, I I finished <laughs> the second season, which was great and unevent and eventful, and that dip of the five or six episodes <laughs> dip is quite a dip, but it's still so much fun. But anyway, what I'd recommend is I I watched the missing pieces for the first time ever because I've never seen yes. it. Um, 
which is this kind of Lynch Lynchian kind of cutscene movie. It's not yeah. a movie. I don't care what you say. It's not a it's, movie. It's the deleted scenes from Firewalk with me. It's basically yeah, the fan and, service from Firewalk. And with did me. I put on letter? Did I put on letterbox that I seen it yesterday because I'm a Lynchian completist? But it's not a film. In the way the return is not a film, I'm not getting into the whole conversation again. But <laughs> it's really fascinating, uh, kind of vibe and kind of like I I love Firework. It's great. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful film. Deeply traumatic, but Jesus Christ, it's great. Um, mm. and I, I only watched it just before I started this rewatch. It actually kicked off the rewatch. So I'm not going to watch it again. I'm going to go straight into the return. mid. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm not, you know, placing it back in again. But I just wanted to watch the piece because I, I had it and I hadn't seen it. And it's bonkers uh, in the way that, like, there's so much great stuff and it's so much superfluous nonsense yes. and stuff that I should never see the light of day. Yeah. But I like, I love missing scenes. I, I don't like uh, director's cuts, but I love missing scenes. I like, <laughs> like watch extra bits and I always, they really make me happy. Like, so uh, I watched that and I had a great time with it. But I think I, main... I joked. I joked to you that like if the if Lynch had released the missing pieces into cinemas in nineteen ninety two, the film would have probably got a much warmer reception because it's I what know, I think man. fans. It's what fans wanted. It's all the characters who love doing. Weird no, I, I think in and of the clips, yeah. I think you're absolutely correct. But it's not a narrative, though. No, not that Lynch films are. <laughs> no, no. But, <laughs> but there, there, but there's no structure to it in no, that I could see. No. So I, I think it would have been bafflement in a very different way. But I take the point. With pure uh, fan service, like now, it, that would be a six-part miniseries. That's what it I think is. A, it is fan service, but and yet there's stuff in it that is oh, I, uh, ferocious and weird and strange, and which you'd expect. Well, I mean, it's I'll, David Lynch you know, fan service. To yeah, be clear, yeah, it is. No, which is a very different kind of. Fan. This isn't. This isn't the Francis Ford Coppola put in the French plantation scene here. This is. Uh, <laughs> this is very, very different. Like, um, but it's good. It, like, it's a ninety-minute good time on a Saturday night. I go, Jesus Lynch, you're a madman. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to have to return next time, so it's, I had a ball with it. Um, but the other thing I just want to mention before I finish, because there's a filmmaker who I'd never heard of until like six weeks ago. He's, he's, only, he's only directed two films and he's only written two films. Uh, his name is John Grismer, G-R-I-S-S-M-E-R. Uh, the two films he directed are Blood Rage and Scalpel. Uh, they're kind of made 1977 and 1987 respectively. They're absolutely insane and really, really good. Uh, really gory, strange, deeply odd horrors that have a TV movie vibe, but also a proper director's eye. It's an odd combination. He also wrote a film called The, oh, geez, called the, the Bride. Scal- uh, uh, yeah, Bride. Yeah, sorry. That's, uh, yeah. But it's not The Bride. It's also called House on Massacre Street as well. It's like four different names for it. It's, just, <laughs> it's directed with somebody else. It's not as good as the... His Why film. would you buy a house on Massacre Street? That just seems like it's a <laughs> horror movie waiting to happen. What are the property values like? I like. I might. Do you know what? I might. And and people in Ireland would absolutely buy a house on Massacre Street because there's no other houses available. Um, so there is that. No, that that is that is the the uh, the reason why. Because it, it's the the why um, you would buy the house on Massacre Street that the property values are suitably low. What are the odds of yeah. two massacres happening? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, we should be fine for at least another fifty years, right? But anyway, um, they're, they're, he directed two. He wrote one. They're all worth watching. Uh, Scalpel particularly is sensational. Uh, I actually had a ball. I think we've lost Jay. We may come back to Jay's recommendations in so, a moment. But Ethan, what would you oh, recommend for listeners? What are you enjoying at the moment? Um. I'm going to recommend this, a series of books that I've been rereading. Um, they're by Lawrence Block, who is an American crime writer. Um, and it's the Matthew Scudder series. 
So um, this is all going to sound very cliched. So Matt, Matt, Matthew Scudder is an ex-cop. He's now uh, an unlicensed PI. So he does favors for people and they, they give him money, but he doesn't keep, you know, doesn't keep receipts. He doesn't, you Sorry, know, I got file his tax returns or anything like that. And he's also, of course, an alcoholic. But the books are set in New York of the 70s and 80s. And they're a wonderful glimpse into the bar life of New York in those days. And as the series progresses, um, Scudder becomes, you know, more and more of an alcoholic. He starts developing blackouts, so it becomes quite serious. Um, eventually, at one point in the series, he starts going to AA meetings. And so you, you go from, from a series of books that, you know, where he's you know going from bar to bar, you know, and all while solving you know various mysteries and crimes, and which are really really well plotted actually, and then to you know to more serious stuff like the blackouts he's having, and then to his AA meetings that he goes to all the time, also while <laughs> working for his clients and trying to solve various things. But you know I, what I love about them is they're very much of the time and place. And you know, New York is obviously a character in the, in in these books, and it's just a wonderful you know look at at New York in the eighties. Um, were they written at the time, or were they written retrospectively? No, they're written at the time. So okay, right. there's about eight, seventeen or eighteen books in the series. Um, sorry, is this uh, Matt Scudder? Did I yeah. start? Sorry, I I missed. I kind of my internet went, but I I had that recommend recommend to me a little while ago similarly from somebody else actually that yeah. they're great and they're on my list to read yeah and like you know the titles of the books are really sort of one of them is called um when the sacred gin mill closes i mean that's, that's <laughs> a beautiful title glorious um, the, you know another one is like a dance at the slaughterhouse which is a great title one is a walk among the tombstones which was made oh, that's the film, film the Liam Neeson, one. Liam Neeson. Yeah. So which has like, like one of the greatest scare like twist endings in history yeah. where a camera pulls out from a window to reveal the twin towers are still standing. <laughs> There's um so here's the question for all you film buffs. So Liam Neeson pe- played Matt Scudder in um Walk Among the Tombstones. But somebody else played him in an 80s version of another of the the Matt Scudder novels. Do you know who it was? And what was the film? Ooh. Well, we oh. know the film. Is it something where we'll go... Uh, You'll know the actor. You'll definitely know the actor. Might... Jeff Bridges? Jeff Bridges is right, yeah. Hey. Is that Cutter's Way or something or something like that? Or No, Cutter's Way. No, no, it's not Cutter's There's Way. There's something in the back of my head. I can't quite remember where I got it from. Yeah. I've never seen it, but I do remember ads on videos at the time for, you know, you know, there are 8 million ways to die. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, the way. So I actually have seen that. Uh, I've actually seen that film. Which uh, is, so that's obviously in the back of my head. That was a fantastic guess, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, so 8 million ways to die is the one we set before when the sacred general closes. So yeah, so there are great those weird things books. that I had in the back of my head. Uh, I, mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, I don't know. Yeah. I, I recommend. They're all quick reads. They're great fun. Um, great stuff. I love it. I love a crime series. So I mean, yeah, they're absolutely fantastic. Um, and Jay, I think we cut you off. So do you want to finish your recommendation of the House on Massacre Street? No, just a day. Just uh, yeah. It's just I, I was literally just finishing off saying The Bride, which has about five different names and House Massacre Street. It's not a particularly great film. The guy who finally wrote it, but he didn't direct it. So it's not quite his pride and joy, no. No, stop that. Um, but it's good. It's, it's well. It's a curio, and it's really a ferocious, oddly set 
film. But the three of them are well worth watching. Like they're bonkers films. And as I said, I love discovering somebody they had never heard of. That's just a weird uh-huh. thing. And then walked away as far as I can see. I never did anything <laughs> else. Uh, so yeah, well worth it. And Ronan, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? Um, so it's one of those great accidents of timing that when you asked me to come on for this particular film, I'm reading a book at the moment that uh, tells the story of the same time from a slightly different perspective. So it's a book called Yonan Dio by Tilly Olsen. Um, I hadn't heard of her, but uh, it's this really interesting story where she, um, she, she lived this life. She was one of these kind of sharecroppers who was moved off elsewhere. Um, and at the age of 19, started to write uh, a novel version of her upbringing um, and then had kids and had to raise a family and came back to it in the 70s and uh, edited the fragments of the book she found and put it out as it was without um, kind of adding in a postscript, anything like that, just published the novel. Um, and Dio is the name of it, and it's really, really bleak really difficult gets into a lot of of aspects of the the women's experience of this time there's there's a lot of stuff in there about domestic abuse raising children it's it's really interesting compliment to this as i as i watched this this week while still reading that book um very very fascinating really well written some really moving difficult passages in there um still getting through it but uh it's it's definitely one to seek out if you want more context about this time in the u.s um, and then for anyone who has the Criterion channel, um, there was a film I put on the other night um, purely because it was 70 minutes, um, which is something that very often happens. <laughs> I've seen that a lot. Very, very often happens. There's, there's a lot of those. 90% of yeah, Varda, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Break glass in case of emergency type things. Um, and I watched this very, very strange Polish-American film called uh, The Vanquishing of the Witch Babi Yaga. And it kind of ties into this thing as well. It's about uh, uh, kind of folk cultures that come up clashing against modernity um, that I think kind of ties into this film in, in a similar way. It's this kind of uh, distant, older way of living that's faced with modern technology and capitalism and all of these systems. Um, it's really strange. It's part animation. It's very, very dreamy. I got completely lost and it just whisked away. Um, so if you have Criterion, I really, really recommend that if you want something different. Uh, in terms of recommendations for myself, actually, a nice segue there. Um, in terms of Criterion, they have a really good um, 80s horror lineup. They do. Uh, which, again, speaks speaks very much to my priorities when I'm browsing the Criterion <laughs> channel. I will um, say, in fairness. Like... But like, it's, it's a wonderful collection of movies that includes things like Scanners is in there as well. They have like Basket Case. They've, Society? Um I don't know if society. I know society's on BFI anyway, or it used to be. Yeah. Oh, it is. It is indeed society. Yep, yep. Brian. I love society. Society's great. Yeah. Tetsuo the Iron Man is in there as well. If you like a bit of body horror, the '80s remake of The Blob. They have like cat people. If you like terrible. Blob is great. The the '80s Blob is amazing. Yeah, it's great. It's terrific. Like it's really terrific. It is fantastic. It's like with the fly, and there's another one as well. And though it's it's you could argue you could probably throw in Invasion of the Body Snatchers from like '79 as well, where you have that remake of '50s horrors. But it's like, what if it was in the Reagan era and also gory? Um, (laughs) and it's like they're really great. And I think one that that. I I know at least one person, maybe two people in this podcast will also recommend Cue the Winged Serpent is in there as well. Yes. That's a Beyond um, Friday uh, film. Uh, I love a Larry Cohen film. Uh, Cue the Winged Serpent is fantastic. Yeah. Henry Portrait of a... What about They Live? That, that, that's probably too kind of... Um, Comedic? Uh, no, no, uh, uh, no, as in <laughs> oh, like... It might just be too mainstream. I love They Live. It's great. 
Yeah. Well, no, no, they do have John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, uh, which oh, okay. is a movie that I would recommend there as well. I like it too, um, as a... And Catherine Bigelow's kind of near dark is there as well. Oops, sorry. Can I say really quickly yeah. and really stupidly, we, um, our friend Greg Thorpe um, w- uh, was the program director for um, Gaze 2022 LGBTQ plus film festival in Dublin. If this is coming out this weekend, the um, yes. the gallery program is still running. These are free films. Anybody in Dublin can go to see them at the complex. It's in Dublin Seven um, because because <laughs> we we ought to have arranged something a lot uh, um, a lot earlier before before the film festival. I did get to see um, some of the movies. I enjoyed Generation Doctor and um, Make Me Famous. They were great. Um, if you have a chance to watch them, I think that they might have some available online now. But you can also go to uh, um, the complex in Dublin Seven if 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 you want to watch some of the free movies in relation I, to I, that. I think also worth mentioning actually because considering the podcast is going out quite quickly that the IFI Horathon has been announced with a lot of Argento and various other things and. The Lighthouse has the silver screen uh, stuff, which is all the old... The Universal Monster movies. Frankenstein, uh, the Black Cat, which is they one got, of the greatest films ever made. That's uh, uh, Carlo from the Ghosty, right? Black I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, they it's got, just, the original cat people is in the palace yeah, in Galway, oh, for example. Yeah, like, all everything. Just, it's, uh, yeah. it's like, it's... Yeah, it's catnip. Flux, Flux, nice. uh, Flux Gourmet is in the cinema, too, <laughs> at the moment. Excited about that. Sorry. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Have, sorry. have you seen it? Have you seen I that? have not. I have not. Okay. I I I, 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 I do like uh, his films generally, uh, Strickland. So I will. I look forward to getting to that. All right. Um, um, I mean, it's a lot to digest, if you ask me. Sorry. <laughs> Stop that. You know, I, I just wanted to. You know, you just reminded me. I was at the Louth Film Festival last weekend, so it was, it was a short film festival, and I just want to recommend one of the films I saw there. It's called Lambing, and it's directed by Katie McNeese, I think. Not one hundred percent sure. And it's a short film about a couple who have a child that has indeterminate sex organs. So um, an intersex child, basically. And it's very, very moving. It's um, it's really, really interesting film. And the sort of the title card at the end is just devastating. The way that that, you know, intersex children are operated upon in this country um, without their consent um, based on you know, the doctor's best guess as to what gender they should be, you know. So it's something that's, that's deeply, deeply problematic. And um, this is a film that, that you know, that looks at that. Pat Short is in it. I can't remember the, the other actors. I've seen some, uh, seen some, a lot of good talk about it online, actually. Yeah, yeah it, it run, it's after winning an award at a film yeah. festival in the UK. Um, and it is really, really moving. It's a very, very good film. Um, I would also mention as well, uh, because this is going out the weekend. Uh, Nothing compares the Sinead O'Connor documentaries in cinemas. Yes. That is well worth seeking out if you're at all interested in the life and times of Sinead O'Connor. Uh, One of the greatest is, Irish people ever that has ever lived. It, yep. is perhaps, it is perhaps the most typical thing about the documentary that it is named for her most famous song, even though they could not get the rights to play I heard that, yeah. Which is quite, uh, kind of... Uh, but I also admire the brace of, con- <laughs> of continuing to name it for the thing that yeah, you've yeah, been yeah. denied as a statement on how Sinead O'Connor you has You should have really treated. called it something compares to you, really. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, anyway. 
Um, and also uh, a bit lighter, Gina Prince uh, Bythewoods, The Woman King, is in cinemas uh, this weekend. Uh, and also, just to sh- the reason to shout that out is because it is a movie that made $50 million in its opening weekend. It got rave reviews. It got an A-plus cinema score in any world where internet ratings were at all functional myself and andrew and she's a fine filmmaker as well. myself and andrew would be talking about it next week uh but we won't because it's a movie made by an african-american filmmaker about black women um so it is that is the way the internet is it's just insane to think that that is a movie that would be on the list if the lists were not fundamentally broken also all saw, right then also saw no on, on on the subject of kind of like like um a, a black film um and it's great so, but so so many other people have recommended it just okay, because so it's, he, he, I love Nope. Just because it might still be in a cinema, I think I keep going on about it, and people think I'm making it up for that because I like something from this year, but I love it. I I I think it's one of the greatest movies I've seen in a very long time in the cinema. Like the the, the, the uh, I, it's one yeah. of my favorite films this year. And the, Sorry, what's it called? I missed it. No, no, the Jordan, Jordan Peele, the new Jordan Peele. Film. And I'm not a big Sorry. Jordan Peele fan. Um. It, you don't see the appeal? <laughs> yeah, I, I saw Nope. It is absolutely fantastic. I absolutely loved it. I, I thought it was I, incredible. Considering how much I hate yeah. us, I'm stunned how much I love it. I yeah. feel like I'm in Bizarro Land. I've always liked Peel, and I'm like, I love Nope. And I'm like, wait, other people like Nope too? Yeah, um, but you loved us, though. I did love you? us. I, 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 I Jay, terrible. Yeah, Jay. I thought it was terrible. Genuinely career-ending terrible jay, i genuinely I will, hate it i will always love us jay i will always thanks <laughs> um, uh, i'm gonna take that for whatever uh, way you want to put it i'll, I'll take all that. right if listeners are looking for a bit more Eva, ronan and jay online <laughs> um, i love that we've been ending this seemingly forever now but Eva, where i'm i'm sorry i'm just blowing all of my recommendations <laughs> i mean i live here now uh, well, well, can I just say? Can, can I just say that you know, Darren has said he will always love us. Well, you know, thing is, I like lambing so much. I will always love you. Oh, nice. Oh, Evie, don't succumb uh, to right. that. Jesus Christ! I expect more from you, not from Darren. Um, uh, that, that is amazing. We're not going to beat that, Eva, Where can we find you? What are Why you not? at? What are you up to? Um, I'm on Twitter as Aoife Martin, A-O-I-F-E-M-R-T-N. I write a semi-regular column for the journal. Um, and yeah, I'll be at the Dublin Book Festival in November interviewing Louise um, O'Neill and Sophie White about their new books. Lovely. So, nice. Uh, that's in November, is it? That's in November, yeah. Okay, so listeners can so get tickets, tickets, presumably. Yeah, tickets are online, yep. Perfect. Um, and Ronan, where you at? Watch up to. Don't come looking for me. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> we have confirmed on the podcast that Ronan does have a letterbox, even if he doesn't seem aware that he has a letterbox. Yeah, um, I, I, I like I like Ronan's letterbox, actually. I like reading his reviews. So, yeah, highly recommend. I do have a letterbox, and I, I use it to, to remind myself of what I watched 10 years ago. <laughs> I'd stay away from Ronan's 2012 letterbox. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Too many films. It's not a good idea. There's some, there's some scorching hot weird opinions. That's all I'm saying. That's all. Quite I'm saying. incredible. I do love your VOD. On, that's all from your VOD. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. If I remember correctly, it's like it's like a thousand films in the year or something. Is, yeah, those those awful days when it was still possible to literally watch every film added to Netflix. And by God, I tried. You, you I, I am in awe. I like. I look back on that and I'm like, that is a productive human being. 
Um, that wasted year. At least it was only one year. <laughs> All right. And Jay, where are you at? What can we, what can we find you doing? Ah, no, nothing. Uh, I'm at JPR Quine on Twitter. Uh, I re- very recently came out of retirement to write an article for the Pretty Deadly Films, Luke's... Uh, um, oh, the uh, sexy times. Yeah, the sexy one about reading okay. the Soon Bob 2, Diana Clark, uh, slash... Um, what's her face? Necessary Sex, I think, is the title of the magazine. What's, what's the name of the writer? Jesus Christ. Andrea Arnold. Uh, Andrea Dunbar, not Andrea Arnold. Andrea Dunbar. Anyway, yeah. it's uh, an article about the 80s sex in Thatcherland. Uh, it's a it's a tricky one, but uh, I think I did okay. And I uh, I'm, I may be writing an occasional thing on occasion. I might be making a mini comeback. Who knows? We'll see. Nice. I mean, you're... Don't, you're... don't call it a comeback. <laughs> He's been here for years. I have um, always been here. Did, did, did I land that <laughs> reference? Did I get the reference? Um, but Captain America. But uh, you, <laughs> you did the. Um, you also like your Scanlon article in the Rocky series is that was last like five years or whatever. But yes, I know. But yeah. it is one of my favorite pieces of pop criticism. If people want to read an article from, yeah, I always agree. It's that's... great. I like. I rarely write anything good, so there's actually really, I really enjoy that. I've got less Rocky series. And there's a new Rocky film coming for my birthday. There's going to be a new Rocky film in November. Do you know how excited I am? Like, yeah. uh-huh. new Rocky film. I'm going to watch them until I die. I don't know when they'll stop, but I'll be watching it forever. Next month? Yeah, it is, yeah. Really? I know, right? This, remember when it was possible oh, to God. watch all the movies, Ronan? Remember when it was possible to watch all the movies and not just get like... You really have to be very careful with your selection there, Ronan. You've only got so many per year. And you've only so many yeah, years. Get, getting slammed in the face with, by the way, next month there's a Rocky. Um, but all right. Um, it's, it's Mickey's grandson. He's <laughs> a trainer. And it's all about like... I, I'll take any... I, like, I love all Rocky lore. You keep making it for the next 30 years. I don't give a uh, how many grandsons and great-grandkids you have to get to. Dude, the, question, the question is, will this one have a subplot about Rocky complaining about the fluorescent lamp outside his house? That is the question I need to know about Creed 3. Can we have a robot butler? But <laughs> <laughs> well, myself and Rhoda went to see the, the recut of uh, yes! Rocky 4 in the Elias. Which without the Rocky but the but the butler and it's, it's erasure on a grand scale. It loses it if you feel like you miss the butler, like you, you miss the butler, don't you? <laughs> yeah. It's you really miss you the miss the butler. It's something like eighty percent different montages, right? Yeah, it is, like, yeah. It's, it's, like, like, it's no better or no worse. But it's yeah. it's deeply strange why you'd have to cut. It's really strange because if you did a direct side by side comparison, it would be quite different, but <laughs> It's actually not. No, it's not. It feels exactly the same film. Yeah, it does. It's, it's a remarkable trick. Stallone is full. Francis Ford Coppola is not in many ways a cop lesson. And I love him. Um, all right. We are on Twitter at, at the 250. You can follow us on Stitcher and SoundCloud, wherever good podcasts are released. Um, we'll be back next week. We'll be kicking off our Halloween coverage. The wonderful Gmunda Hagen will be joining us to talk about fear.com, which can be watched for free on Netflix right now. Then the following two weeks, we'll be joined by the sensational Joey Kyo, the amazing Dr. Bernice Murphy, Murphy, not Mercy, so that's very Halloween-y, uh, Dr. Bernice Murphy, to talk about the two Donnie Darko movies, Donnie Darko and S. Darko. Ooh. Oh, yes. And we do also, we do Think Outside the Box, Jay, and we do Wag the Southland Tale, um, as it were, as well. I don't I know what those euphemisms mean. I've just uh, been going so that's, long. That's remarkable. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but but okay. thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much, uh, Aoife, Ronan, Jay. Thank you for thank your you time. So that's much, great, guys. I, uh, a lot of fun. Thank you. Didn't manage to keep... I promise I would keep this short. I did not manage to do that. I think I got to recommendations and then I got away. No, you said, you said to get to half ten and we're only a little bit after. So you did all right. 
You did pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It was just a bit longer than the movie. <laughs> just a bit. All right. <laughs> Take it.